does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is an absolutely gorgeous Tuesday, and the sun is rising on the NBA season. The sun is about to set on one of the National League teams. The sun is rising in the World Series. Do you guys know about the the sunrise chair in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, by the way? I don't believe that I do. Eddie, do you know this? I do not. I figured you would know this, Eddie, because you're drinking your chai tea this morning. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we come in, and Eddie's drinking something. I'm like, what is it, like a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee? Uh, it's chai tea. How was your poetry reading class this morning? It was stupendous. We had a lot of snapping going on. A lot oh, yeah? Of poetry slam. Oh, yeah. Eddie's on the that's bongos. Why, that's, why, that's why I like going there, Jay. Yeah, there you go. Um, in Independence Hall in Philadelphia... When they were signing the Declaration of Independence, and they gathered for one of the, I mean, I'm going to get my history stories confused here, but as legend historically has it, Benjamin Franklin's chair on the back of it had the the, the stitching of a sunrise, or just a sun and a horizon. And as they signed the Declaration of Independence, allegedly, Benjamin Franklin said, please note my chair. Clearly, that is a sunrise and not a sunset. And that's like the legendary story, historically, of that moment. And when I toured Independence Hall, like 20 years ago, the tour guide, we walked past the chair. I mean, the chair is sitting there, and it's like, oh my gosh, there it is. And there really is, like the stitching in the back of the, the, the rest of the chair of a sun. And I said to the tour guide, oh, that's the chair of the famous Benjamin Franklin quote. This is a sunrise and not a sunset. And the tour guide's like, what are you talking about? I'm like the the story of Benjamin Fra- and I, and she's like I've never heard that before, and I'm like wait a minute how, how can you how can I at Allisonville Elementary School 40 years ago have heard that story and yet you are a tour guide in that facility and you're unfamiliar with it how often and I want the answer to be often so badly how often are you on a tour. And you often drop a nugget that the tour guide is just like, I man, I'm just trying to guide this. I run the same tour every day for All the weeks time. and weeks. All and the time. Now you're making me look bad. And I also, by the way, and I promise we will get into the day of sports today, but I also, when I was in the eighth grade, true story, you can ask anybody from Eastwood Middle School that was on the 1987 uh, tour of Washington, D.C. We were touring through the White House. I asked a question to the tour guide. And I was genuinely asking this. I was genuinely curious. I go, hey, I have a question. And she goes, okay. And I said, so like this room right here, like does Ronald Reagan come in here and like have like a beer at the end of the day? And I was I was meaning it like, is this really a room that they use like in, the, is this like a used room, you know? And she goes, excuse me? And I said, does Ronald Reagan like come in here and like kick his feet up and like have a beer in this room? And she said, well, hang on. And a secret service worker, kid you not, true story. A member of the Secret Service came up and asked me, he said, where are you from? And I said, Indianapolis. And they took me They took me off the tour into a back room, <laughs> hand on the Bible, okay? I realize now they were having sport of me, but at the time. And he said, okay, we have a Secret Service worker here from Indiana who's going to quiz you to make sure that you are legitimately from Indianapolis. And I go, okay. And he asked me three questions. I still remember perfectly what all three were. The first was, what high school will you attend? I said, North Central High School. 
And he goes, okay, secondly, what is a White Castle? I said, it's a small restaurant that has delicious burgers. And the third question, he said, where is Nora Library? And I have no idea, Jimmy, as an eighth grader, how I remembered this cross street. But I said, it's at the intersection of 86th and Guilford. And the guy goes, okay, you're good. And they took me back, opened a door, and then bled me right in like 100 full-size camera camcorders, swung over to me, and I waved, and they blended me back into the tour with my group, and I carried on about my way. True story. I was really hoping this was going to end with... uh yeah, he's a Pabst guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer is often. And I've done a Pabst tour, as a matter of fact, where I ask questions. Um, NBA season is underway tonight, right? It is indeed. And the do you know, Jimmy Cook, the two favorites to win the NBA? The Vegas odds favorites without looking, Jimmy Cook. Who are the two favorites to win this year's championship in the association? I would say the Bucks. And the Celtics. You are correct. Giannis, by the way, enjoying a new contract. You saw that, right? Yes. Three years, $186 million. He will make $62 million per per season. Um, Staggering, staggering money. Jalen Brown, though, in that same category for Boston. And not to, to turn everything into Vegas stuff because that gets tiresome quickly, I realize. But it gives you a barometer I am not a big gambling guy. If you are going to partake in a couple of wages for fun and small profit purposes, I strongly encourage you to use DraftKings, by the way. But the one wager, and I think it's a dangerous thing to tell people which way to bet one way or the other because some people can't handle it responsibly. I get all of it. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Correct. 1-800-9-WITH-IT is the number if you have an issue. But I'll tell you the one that I would absolutely hammer. And I jokingly told everybody to bet their mortgage on Indiana and Michigan on the money line. There was no money line, so I could safely tell that because I knew that I was not putting anybody in a response an irresponsible <laughs> position. This one you can actually do. And it was a theme on the morning show when I worked with Kevin Bowen last year. Uh, and I, I certainly hope that Kevin is hammering this again this year. The over-under for your Indiana Pacers... In Vegas. The over-under. Now, I'll look at it on the... I will go with the DraftKings number here. But if we had to to bet... Now, for those that are unfamiliar, and I can't imagine there are many that this is the case, but if you are unfamiliar with over-under, that simply means the number of wins, the total number of wins for the season for your Indiana Pacers. And I'm pretty bullish on where the Pacers are. And tomorrow night, they open up against the Washington Wizards. I'm going to be there at the game. And one of our guests at 2 o'clock today, Stephen Holder, going to be joining me at the game tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Stephen Holder joins us 2 o'clock today. Mike Chappell will join us at 1 o'clock. We'll talk plenty of Colts. In terms of the NBA over-under, uh, without looking, Eddie, please do not look. Would you like to, to guess the over-under total for your Indiana Pacers? And I'll go with DraftKings. 37 and a half. Okay. Would you like to wager? Jimmy Cook, would you like to predict what you think it's going to be? I will say 41 and a half. 41 and a half? Yes. Uh, one of you's close. Mm. The total over under 38 and a half. So Eddie's closest. Because I went over. 38 and a half. Well done, Eddie. I mean, you you got to go. That's that would be four. If it go over, that's four more wins than a year ago. So it's gone up a win then, because it was thirty seven and a half. 
I mean, did you get in on the ground floor? Do you already have a futures out on that on 37 and a half? Uh, no, I tweeted about it when they okay. first came out. I was like, 37 and a half? That's no way, way low, right? Yeah. Feels low. They're going to win 42. I mean, they were a 500 team last year with Tyrese at 28 28. Now you add in Bruce Brown, who's going to help them win they're, games. They're going to win 42 or more. I, yeah. I will I'm predict, with you on that. I'm going to say they win 45. 45 and 37 for the Pacers. But it's a, you know, it, it's a fascinating team because there really is no area that it that it is void. Now there might be a, a few areas where you say okay, they're not they don't have a dynamic breakthrough guy, but the drop off 1 to 3 at any position is not really substantial. You could say that's because they're not overly strong at any one. I mean, obviously Halliburton, right? There's a lot of ways to look at it, but but there are the rotations going to be interesting. Ben Shepard is a guy that they drafted with that additional first-round pick that they had that we thought was going to be the guy that they were going to kind of stash and grow. And he's 23 years old. It looks like he might be ready to give some minutes already. Whereas Jarris Walker, who was their lottery pick, is the guy that they might actually let come along slowly, which is the opposite of the way that I think most people thought it was going to be. Aaron Neesmith yesterday gets a three-year extension, which essentially locks him in for four more years because he's still got a year left on his contract. And he's like kind of the... He's like a Derek McKee type. And when you need guys like that, Swiss Army knife, right? Can play three positions, can can defend, can hit open shots. You absolutely need guys like that. But Jimmy, more than that, you need guys that are willing to be happy by making eleven to twelve a year. In an era where Giannis is making sixty-two million dollars a year, a guy like Aaron Neesmith, who is a wing defender that can shoot the ball, that's a value. And I know that that sounds crazy, right? Eleven to twelve million dollars a year sounds crazy to think of it's a value. But that's that's a value, right? The cap goes up every year. NBA money is effectively monopoly money, kind of like all the other sports, but especially so with the fact when you compare NBA money to NFL money, less positions, and just where the cap is at, it always looks crazy. But yes, when you have the ability to lock somebody down that has the ability to open up your offense, particularly from beyond the arc, you make that investment, particularly if it's somebody that wants to be here. Like so often that gets lost with fans because they're caught up in sticker shock. If you have a young talent that wants to be here, that wants to be part of a market like Indiana, which we've stressed a number of times over the last couple of weeks when looking at the Pacers of like and their history, there's always been guys when they succeed that embrace the role of the T-shirt on the front. Nismith's one of those guys. I have no problem with the signing. No. Um, when you play Monopoly, what piece are you? Uh, I haven't played in a long time. I think there's a horse piece. Yes or no? Is there a horse? Am I making that up? There's a dog. No, doggy. I, the doggy. That's what it is then. It, yes. He's a little Toto dog, right? Yes, a little Toto what dog. What piece are you, Eddie? Usually the dog. I like to be well, the, the dog's already taken. Yeah. <laughs> Here, Eddie can have the dog. Gosh. Is I'll take a, the car, the right. race car. That's yeah, what I was going to take too. All right. Okay, so that leaves me, I guess, the iron or the top hat. I guess I'll go with the top hat. Nice. Very Speaking stylish. of that, I bought uh, right down the street here from where we are. At Red's Barbershop, which is a cool place, right? Um, Four fifty nine is my barber of choice, but Red's Barbershop has like kind of the old school look. You don't like the the battleship piece? Is there a battleship? Yes, or a Titanic piece? Let me hold on. There's a duck. There's a race car. No, the, the ducks new. The ducks new. There's no way. Um, there's a whole section of like retired yeah. pieces as well. Yeah. See, I'm probably going with too much of the old school pieces. See, there's a what's like the original pieces? Dog, cat, battleship. Uh, penguin, rubber ducky, top hat, race car, thimble. Those are all the... Thimble. Okay, thimble was always popular in my house. Yeah. Give those again. This is in the current. I don't know about the original, but dog, cat, battleship, penguin, 
rubber ducky, top hat, race car, thimble. I mean, I'd be down with the penguin. No, what about the shoe? What about the shoe? Recently you know? retired includes yes, the, the boot. shoe. The, the boot. shoe, yeah. Yeah, the boot. I'd go with the boot. The boot has been retired yeah. for six years. The wheelbarrow? As is the wheelbarrow. The, okay. And the T-Rex, which had a stint from 17 to 22. The T-Rex? <laughs> what? The T-Rex, 2017 to 2022. Yeah, the six original Monopoly pieces okay. in 1935. Okay, that would be the thimble? Yep. The race car? No. Okay, the thimble, the iron? Yes. The wheelbarrow? No. Okay. the The boot. Yes. The dog. No. Okay. What am I? What did are the you originals? say? Because I'm seeing 35 okay. as the original. Yes, the six original 1935 pieces. Uh, well, okay. we they might be in different what? spots. You go. Battleship. Yes. Boot. Yes. Cannon. Yes. Thimble. Top hat. Iron. This okay. is also including though in the 1935 set the Scottish Terrier and the race car as being a part of that original set as well. For what's worth. Yeah, I, I would. I, I don't remember the battleship at all. That must have been lost in the Quarry Household. You know, that probably got confused with the other board game we had, right? Um, but but nonetheless, I'm just curious which pieces you guys would use. And now I can't remember what we were talking about in terms of how, how we even got. You're talking about uh, Aaron Neesmith, I think. And yeah, how so, pieces fit in with the. Yeah, pacers. so like, look, Neesmith is. I think that's an important sign for them because. You've got to have guys that can play multiple positions, number one. We were just talking, Eddie, about fantasy basketball, which I know in no way, shape, or form is applicable towards like actual real basketball, except for this. If you are, if you play like ESPN.com, oh, I, I've mentioned the hat, by the way. I have a hat that I'm going to wear in Europe, um, like a Stetson hat. I bought it because I think it's an old 1930s cool looking hat. And then I realized, like, there's really nowhere to wear it in the U.S. And you kind of look, unless I'm going to a horse race. So I'm going to wear it in Europe just to see if I can, like, blend in and look sophisticated. <laughs> That's where the hat came from. But in terms of Neesmith, if you play fantasy basketball, like on ESPN.com, what, and, you're, and you, you're drafting guys in your fantasy draft, you always want to get the guy that like you can put at like three different positions because on any given night it's easier to work him into your lineup, right? You're like, well, I already have like two small forwards starting tonight, but I want to get as many points accumulated as possible. Well, this guy I can put at small forward, shooting guard, power forward, or you know, point guard, and so that guy has value to you in a fantasy lineup. That is applicable actually to real NBA life to to an extent because. And Aaron Neesmith is a guy that you can use as a starter or as a backup in various positions. And that's becoming we're becoming more and more of a positionless league. So you're seeing more of that. But to be able to have that in a guy that is happy with his role, that is content and understands where he's going to be. And like we talked about with Chad Buchanan when he was in here, one of the things about Aaron Neesmith to me that is fascinating and valuable is the fact that you go to any game you go to any NBA game. Eddie, do me a favor and pull up a random. Jimmy, give me a random NBA team. Random NBA team. The Raptors. The Toronto Raptors. Eddie, go to the Toronto Raptors roster if you could. Okay. Okay. And just pull up, not a starter, but pull up a guy in the Raptors roster that's like eighth or ninth on their roster. Okay. Just pull up any guy. So we're literally going with the definition of dart throw random NBA player. Give me the ninth okay. player on the Toronto Raptors. Just give me a name. Uh, Jalen McDaniels. Jalen McDaniels. Okay, here we go. Uh, Jalen McDaniels is an American basketball forward, of course, with the Toronto Raptors, right? I'm on his Wikipedia page, which we know is all-knowing. 
Jalen McDaniels is from Seattle, Washington. He's 25 years old. He's from Federal Way High School in Federal Way, Washington. He played at San Diego State. Okay, Go Aztecs. I'm looking at the notable alumni list of his high school. Michael Dickerson, who played in the NBA. Uh, Donnie Marshall, former NBA player. And his brother, Jade McDaniels, who just signed yesterday a big deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. Gosh, and, and Terry Eason of the NBA. My point being, it's like five guys, right? All kind of interchangeable. This is a guy that is that, that for the majority of his life has been the best. I guarantee you he was the best player on his team. He and his brother would be, the, if they interchanged, were the best players in their era. And people still talk at Federal Way High School about he as one of four or five guys from that high school that are the greatest athlete to come through that area. There are people right now that are like, you know, I had to guard Jalen McDaniels and he was unbelievable, da, da, da. And then you get to the NBA and you're a role player. And how do you – you're the best player in your 7th grade team. You're the best player in your 10th grade team. You're the best player in your, your college team. Then you get to the NBA and you've just got to be a role player. Not every guy can handle that. Aaron Neesmith was a scorer, a flat scorer all through high school. Then at Vanderbilt for a year. The lead, you know, the guy. And then he gets in the league and he's got to re – invent himself and he's done it it's especially difficult if you're drafted to in your mind still be a guy like still be a key correct piece that's going to be on the side of the building and then you have to adjust as a rookie and beyond in the lead up to your next contract of okay what is the nba going to be for me what am i going to be for a team am i able to check my ego at the door and adjust to survive in the league and not every, you're right, not everybody can do it. it it's a hard thing to do. I was going to say that uh, Rick Carlisle actually talked about that with Aaron Neesmith this morning uh, on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. He was talking about how in college he was a guy that uh, Jerry Stackhouse ran the offense through, and that was one of his big adjustments when he had to come over to the Indiana Pacers. You want to hear it? Sure. So this is Carlisle this morning, right? Yep. All right, here we go. He was one of our most versatile players. He was one of our best defensive players. And he was a shooter in college. Now, where he had to adjust his game when he came over to us was we play a much more fast-paced, random style. So he had to adjust to the our random, fast-paced style of play. And that took a little bit. But once he adjusted, you know, he had a tremendous year for us last year. He ended up being our starter. Now we just feel, feel like he's a real key part of the next four years, including this year, and uh, just thrilled to have him back in the fold. Let me tell you the other thing he does. That was Rick Carlisle this morning, which, by the way, I think it's going to be a weekly appearance on the morning show, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Um, and Carlisle's really good and really insightful, obviously, as the head coach. But I had an interesting conversation once about Derek McKee. And I know that I'm going in the Wayback Machine, but I think it adds perspective to the current. I was talking to somebody that was involved with the Pacers during Derek McKee's tenure. And I just happened to mention, I said, you know, my favorite player was of that era. I mean, obviously Reggie Miller. But I said, I always loved Derek McKee because I loved that Derek McKee, you didn't have to orchestrate things through. And like the eyes lit up the person I'm talking to and said, holy cow, you realize Derek McKee for us was like a 41%, and I'm throwing out random numbers, but I, you know, I'm roughly the area here, like a 41% three-point shooter for us in his career. And I go, okay. He said, but 
he was like a 52% three-point shooter when shooting a three in the last four seconds of a shot clock possession or the last five seconds of a half. Those are the, the, the saber metrics, you know, the, the finer stats that they can figure those things out now. But the point being that Derek McKee was a guy that your play never had to run through, but when the play came to a stall and the ball ended up in his hands where the, something had to be done, he was a capable and a confident shooter that then, without having to design to do so, was able to convert end of possessions into points. And I do think that Aaron Neesmith is that kind of a player. When the ball, if the ball is rotating through and your first option is Halliburton, the ball in his hands, and Halliburton then goes to a Miles Turner or to you know, a buddy healed and there's a double team and the ball reverses. And now all of a sudden it's in Aaron Neesmith's hands and there's five seconds left on the shot clock. Having a guy at that point that is then able to revert back Jimmy to being automatic, like score first guy that can then put the ball on the floor, get himself a quick separation and get a shot up. That is critically important as opposed to a guy that the ball comes in his hands like a Dale Davis and he's not used to being an offensive player and he's like, I have no idea what to do with this thing. It's very important. And I think it's going to be um, a really important piece for the Pacers this year. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the Pacers season. I really am because I think that we anticipated that they were have to gonna you know gonna have to take steps forward. We thought it was gonna be a two to three year process, and Jimmy, the reality is that process already has begun. And I think this is the year they take a step. Somebody just sent me a thing. They got them at thirty five and a half on the over under, and they went over. That's all day. Yeah, lock that in. Well done. Totally automatic, right? Yes. For me, whether it's the NBA or the NFL. I tend to be an offense first guy. I mean, that's what I think if you pulled people, that's what sells the most, right? Everybody loves exciting, thrilling offensive plays. And there's no doubt with this roster that they are capable of doing that, of electrifying you on the offensive end on a nightly basis. The bigger thing for me going forward and what isn't going to be necessarily answered the first game, probably not even the first week or first month of the season is where have they improved defensively as a unit from a year ago in any of the conversations you hear from Rick Carlisle whether it is his uh, you know, national hits that he did uh, yesterday I believe he was with Mark Boyle with Sirius XM kind of previewing the Pacers season obviously his weekly conversations here on the wake up call with KB and Andy 7 to 10 a.m. here on the fan you know how important and how much he values high level defensive play and they're too often last year did that get in the way of things, whether it was being able to close out games, whether it was letting teams go on big runs that made you an insurmountable hole to try to climb out of. And they still flirted around with a playoff conversation late into the season. So you're not necessarily asking for a Hall of Fame level upgrade on that side of the ball. But that is something that I think, regardless of where this roster's at, you need to see a step forward taken if they are going to. Maybe not reach that win total, because I think that's attainable either way, but get to where I want to see them go, which is my range for them is a six seed or better. And that's a high bar. That doesn't mean I'm going to call the season a failure if they don't get there. I don't want them in the play in this year. I want them I to take a leap to a playoff Six seed or better is fair. I think, Jimmy, the goal this year is to get familiar with the playoffs and, I would a, agree. and a series. Get a playoff yeah. series under your belt and know what goes on there. How's the chai tea, Eddie? Oh, it's exquisite. Do you put anything in the chai tea? Nope. Okay. Um, just straight chai tea? Yeah. Okay. Well, ice, but that's it. It looks like it's got some sort of cream in it. It's a very light color. No, that's just chai tea from Is Starbucks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you sure they're not putting anything in there? I'm I think it might be sure. sold a bill of goods. Chai tea is it, is 
typically very dark, correct? I learned over the summer, and I just want to double check it because I Googled it as well. Uh, in Hindi, chai literally translates to tea. So technically, it, oh, it's you tea just tea. say chai. Yeah. So if you say chai tea, you're saying tea tea. Okay. Yep. T squared. You're drinking some tea squared over there, Eddie? I guess so. Um, I, you know, I think what you want to do this year, if you're the Pacers, is just get this group familiar with the playoffs are different it's a different animal i mean the 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 speed changes there's just a lot that goes into it and you want to get familiar with it get the experience this year and then you really build off of it and i think originally we thought that was going to be you know a year ago the pacers were basically saying look this is like a three-year window well i mean they're they're there now i mean i'm telling you are they going to win the east no are they going to be a top three seed? Probably not. Are they going to be better than people think? Yes. I really do think so. Like last year, Sacramento. Sacramento took a big step last year and all of a sudden became like kind of a player in the West. I realized the playoffs didn't go as they anticipated, but they had a really good year. And and I think that's Indiana this year. I really do. I've said this about the Colts this year. My mindset for them has been, hey, development of the rookies, but look, if you end up having a draft pick again that's in the top five or top seven, so be it. That was my mentality for the Pacers a year ago. I'm I'm off that boat now. Like I'm I don't want to see another year where the Pacers are picking, and I don't think they will be. I think they're too good to be in that area. I don't want to see another top five or top ten selection by the Pacers. Jimmy, I want to leap forward across the roster. It shows what it shows what Indiana has done in the course of a year, and the fact that this time a year ago we were talking about patience so that they could get a lottery pick as a piece that starts to send them over the hump and instead they got a lottery pick that there's already conversation of allowing that lottery pick to organically grow behind the scenes as opposed to being needed right now when when they knew they had a lottery pick for for this season that they were going to be drafting with for the second straight year the thought was man get two guys that that you roll the ball out and let them run and grow, and now it's no. Actually, we don't even necessarily need that. I mean, they need some things out of Jarris Walker, defense and rebounding. Don't get me wrong, but they're not looking at it saying we're going to force him early because we have because that's we need to. No, they have the depth now to allow that to to get under the soil and water it properly, and that's a that's a huge Massive. luxury and a huge benefit. Mike Chappell on the program today, one o'clock. Stephen Holder at two o'clock. Lot to talk about, including as we just did. Continue conversation about the Pacers season opening tomorrow night and the Fall Classic. Dare we forget. I know that this isn't a baseball town, but it is pretty cool. And we will touch on that as well. It's a gorgeous Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. It's Quarry and Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm going to plead total ignorance, which is not hard for me to do. And, and I'm, I'm actually almost asking people to... Correct me here. I, I mean, I know that I'm probably wrong. As a matter of fact, I know I'm wrong, but I don't understand something. There are certain things that I just, my brain doesn't conceptualize and grasp, algebra being one of them, okay? Um, that's well documented. But this scandal with Michigan, and either of the two of you tell me if I'm errant here in what my understanding is of this 
potential scandal with Michigan football. And we'll talk about the fact, by the way, the Texas Rangers in the World Series that now await tonight's winner between Arizona and Philadelphia. Baseball, not a huge topic, but it's fun. It's This time of year in particular, it's fun. Um, and obviously the NBA on the eve of the Pacers and plenty of Colts talk today. But this Michigan story, it does probably apply locally because of Indiana and Purdue. And then, of course, you know, you're talking about a team that is a front runner for the college football playoff. But uh, no, they don't retroactively give IU a win there if it winds up being vacated. I just wanted you to well, I, I, I need shock to, the world, baby. I just wanted to throw that out there Thank you. for clarity. Yeah. Th- this is where I am confused. So let, let me give you my understanding of this, and then you guys tell me where I'm wrong. And if people would like to call in and elaborate for me or illuminate where I'm wrong, I, I'm all about that. I, I, I would like for someone to explain this to me like I'm a fifth grader, which oftentimes needs to be done. But about, I don't know, probably eight years ago or so, it really became in vogue. You would see it on college football sidelines where the backup quarterback or like the punter or somebody will hold up a huge poster board and it would have four images on it. A SpongeBob SquarePants, Jessica Simpson, um, you, you know, a Nike swoosh and a McDonald's logo. Okay. And one of those, one of those is a play. You don't know which one. Right. So he's holding it up, and the player looks over to the sidelines, and they have a play that's a blitz that's called the Mc, the Ronald McDonald. So he sees that logo. The other three signs are totally bunk. They mean nothing. But he sees the McDonald's one, and he knows that's the play that's being called in, right? And then he looks at the sidelines. He sees the guy holding up that play, and he knows that's the play. So my understanding is, and you tell me if I'm wrong in this, the University of Michigan and their football staff hired some guy who bought tickets just like any of the just like I would have done if I hadn't gotten in free to the Navy Air Force game by sweet talking the usher okay so this guy buys tickets to games goes in sits down and then is able to determine okay I noticed that when Wisconsin holds up the sign that has the the picture of Giannis on it they run a flare pass, and I've been able to figure out every time they run a flare. So I'm looking at it, and they run a flare pass, and the play before that, one time it had an image, you know, a, a poster board with these four. To, the one consistent is Giannis. So when I see a picture of Giannis, that means flare pass. Now, this is being investigated by the NCAA as a violation and as cheating. And, and I try to be somebody who leads a scrupulous life, but my question is this. What is the difference between skied, cheating and very thorough scouting and preparation? He's buying it. They're sending somebody in to buy a ticket to figure out what each board means. How is that any different than watching film on a team and figuring out what play they're running based on their, their lineups? I'll let Eddie go after I share my also ignorance on this. There is an NCAA rule in 1994 that banned in-person advanced scouting, meaning scouting ahead of your schedule, because not every school could afford to have that in their athletic department budget, and that's still a rule that stands today. Additionally, there's also a rule about you can't film to learn about signs. You cannot use electronic assistance to figure out signs. You can apparently... If you want to make a sketch of it or you want to do it by memory, that's fine. But you also can't do that. But the larger issue, I believe, Eddie, with Michigan is 
the fact that they're viol- they violated the advanced scouting rule, which is still a rule that's present in today's NCAA. So, so the guy's name is Connor allegedly, Stallions. Allegedly. He's the analyst for Michigan. He purchased more than 30 tickets to 11 different Big Ten venues okay. over the past three years. Okay. According to this ESPN article, it says that the alleged side ceiling operation includes both video evidence of electronics prohibited by the NCAA to steal signs and a significant paper trail. Now, there was a uh, another coach that was within the Big Ten and SEC that they did not name in this article who has experience that said uh, that coaches between the TV broadcast, coaches tape, and what fans film with their phones and post online, the coach said that there's more than enough footage that's accessible without leaving the office. I mean, that's my point. Like, if they were – here's the thing. First off, okay, first off. So I'm to pretend, who's the worst college football program in Division One? What's the one that you just would assume has like zero budget? Who would you assume? G- give me like the name of a school in Division One college athletics where you're like, hey, come on. Uh, Akron? Probably. Idaho State. Is Idaho State Division One? I mean, I you played them. The, the, no, they played Idaho, right? I thought they played Idaho State. No, they played the Vandals. Then, yeah, Idaho. Okay, the Idaho Vandals. So, Idaho played this year in their schedule. If you look at the Idaho Vandals football schedule, Lamar, Nevada, California. They played California, uh, Montana, Montana State. North. Did they play Indiana this They didn't play Indiana this year, did they? It was no. last year, right? Correct. Okay. So they played California. I guarantee you California paid Idaho $750,000 to go to to go to Berkeley and play them. Guarantee it, right? Well, what's it costing for this guy to go and stay in a Motel 6 or a Howard Johnson and buy tickets to go watch the Indiana versus Akron game and, and look at signs? I mean, like, that's not in budget? Come on. It's from my understanding that he's purchasing these tickets underneath his own name, and then he's distributing these tickets to other people to go do the work for him. But he's buying the tickets? Okay. Correct. Okay. But he's not the one that's actually going, so he's having someone else do his job. But again, job. I, I'm not trying to in any way, shape, or form exonerate Michigan or say that, that what they're doing is right if, in fact, it was against the rules. But I, they can't be the first person to – honestly, they, they cannot possibly be the first school to do this. And and like to your point, Eddie, with the other guy that you're talking about, the other coach that was like, you could if you watch any game, how many times do you watch a college football game and Herb Street and whatever, and they're talking – they show over to the sidelines, the offensive coordinator, and next to him is standing there some like punter or backup quarterback There's holding like up three a big players sign. With like nowadays right. three or four different boards. Right, and you're like, oh, look at that. Like how, how funny is that? There's Salma Hayek on a poster st- next to Morgan Freeman. It can't be that hard to figure out. Like this is really – like of all – I guess my point being – of all the things that go on in college athletics, this is what we're hyper focused on. Really, I mean, you got guys like I mean, come on. And furthermore, who needs to steal signs to beat Indiana, right? My, are you kidding me? The three of us can find. There's right now. There's eight people on Monument Circle. I just looked outside. There's eight people right now on Monument Circle. The eleven of us could probably go out. We could at least get ten against Indiana, right? <laughs> 
I mean, these guys don't even know who their quarterback is. Indiana doesn't even know who their quarterback is from one play to the next. They're in the huddle, and the quarterback's in. They're like, hey, I just found out I'm running this play. Here's what we're doing. Okay, so you we can't stop those guys from scoring? To be fair, it says that he bought tickets for 11 different stadiums in the Big Ten, so Memorial might not have been on there. Maybe, maybe they didn't need to scout. If it, Indiana's <laughs> thrilled that somebody bought 30 tickets. They're like, are you kidding me? You Come know, out and see the world's largest flagpole. You know, that's probably why Michigan scored 52 unanswered. It's because they figured out what the signs were. No. It's just it's just two snaps. <laughs> it's the guy that's snapping. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indiana is worried about people stealing their signs when they're posting videos of them doing jazz hands. I'm telling you, like... Who needs – how many schools in the Big Ten does Michigan realistically need to know there's – Ohio State, okay. There's one. Ohio State's going to beat Michigan this year, by the way. Watch. You watch. Well, we've seen that there's two things that don't happen very often, at least in this Ryan Day era. It's that they don't lose to Penn State, which is true. They don't do that. But they struggle against Michigan. Here, look. But that's just been the fact always I mean, the last couple Let me couple tell you, I'm going, to write a, I'm going to write a book, Okay. My book is a fictional story, and it's about a college football team that every year starts out 6-0 and and has a proud tradition that they're trying to recapture, mm-hmm. and every year they start 6-0 and and they get ranked inside of the top eight, and then they have a game against undefeated Ohio State, and they lead 10-3 to after the second quarter, and everybody gets excited, and people start calling each other across the country, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's happening, Ohio State's going to lose, it's happening, turn it on, Ohio State, they're about to get bounced out of the, the college football playoff running. And then Ohio State comes out in the second half and outscores them 21-3 to and wins. Guess what? That's Penn State's story every year for like the last yep. 15 years. So, back to the Michigan thing. Are you confused by the aggressiveness by which this is being attacked because it's likely going on elsewhere? Or are you in I, agreement that they should be going after Michigan? Honestly, and my honest answer, Jimmy, is this. My only question is kind of rhetorically, what is the difference between cheating and proper scouting and thorough scouting? What's the difference? How is it any different than watching a game tape and looking at formations and saying when they run this formation, more often than not, they run this play? The only difference is, okay, when they when they hold up a picture of Jennifer Garner, more often than not, they run this play. How is that any different than just watching video? And, and, and like scouting, I mean, how's it any different than sending team? I mean, like literally teams have Maybe scouts. They send, the- like they're, what do you do for a living? You, you run into people. What do you do for a living? I'm a scout. I'm an NBA scout. I'm an NCAA scout. I'm an NFL scout. Sure. That's what their job is, right? Uh, let's go to Terry. Terry, what's up? What's up, Gary? Hey, first time calling in. Love the company. Uh, didn't like what you said about Ohio State going to try to beat Michigan this year because that's that's going to be a wake up call for Daly. Um, you mean Day? This, oh, yeah, Day. I don't care what his name. So is. So Terry, but, you're a Michigan? Um, are you a Michigan <laughs> fan or Ohio State fan? You're obviously a Michigan fan, right? Uh, I'm blue. I'm blue and maize, baby, blue and maize. Okay, fair enough. So um, the biggest thing I have a question I want you to answer is um, this whole controversy of people basically doing their job of scouting. How is it against NCAA rules to scout if you go to, say people go to a high school game to scout a student? Aren't they doing the same thing that these guys are doing? Terry, I mean, I don't disagree with you. Now, as Jimmy had mentioned, and by the way, Terry, if you don't mind me asking real quick, how did you become a Michigan fan? 
I was born born into it. <laughs> I had no choice. I so, was uh, I was a Glenn Rice when Glenn Rice was a freshman. Oh yeah, basically, basically the first year I really started watching them and then watching Harbaugh and that's the, cool. God himself, God himself, Bo Schembechler being you Glenn know, Rice. So. By the way, Terry Glenn Rice had one of the great tournaments of all time. He still holds the record for most points accumulated in a single NCAA tournament in '89. And when they went to the Final Four in Seattle in '89, and Ramil Robinson hit the two free throws to beat. Seton Hall, I was thrilled because Seton Hall and Andrew Gaze had knocked out Indiana two rounds earlier. So they did Indiana a huge favor. And I was actually at um, that game where Jay Edwards hit the shot against Michigan in 89, one of the great games I've ever seen. But I I agree with you. But to Jimmy's point, apparently traveling to and buying tickets to be able to watch in person and scout games well in advance. I think you're allowed to scout like the week before, but doing it repeatedly at stadiums apparently is against rules because some teams can afford to do that allegedly more than others. Is that a fair statement, Jimmy? Yeah, I would say so. Fair way of saying it. Um, all right, Daryl, what's up? Hey, Jake, I'm glad you said Michigan was going to lose because every time you say that, they end up winning. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm telling you. Same thing that you said that Indiana was going to go into the big house and walk away with a big upset. I called you after you made that statement to make sure your you know your mental health is okay. <laughs> but, you know, this time, Daryl, I didn't back down, man. I mean, give me that much, right? I stood by it. Well, and you did, and you know we saw what happened. So I'm glad you said Michigan's going to lose to Ohio State. That means they're going to win by three times. Okay, are you a Michigan fan, Daryl? Yes, I am. Okay, so honest question, kidding aside and flippancy aside, do you have any worry that this? investigation slash scandal could interfere with Michigan's focus and allow them to trip up here in clearly what is a dominant team they have? No. Okay. Harbaugh won't let that happen. All right. I appreciate it. And we'll see see what happens with it. Let's go one more. Mark. Hey, Mark, what's up? Hey, Jake. Just calling in on this topic. I'm I'm surprised that you don't think it's a big deal due to the fact that Using the electronic device, I think, is the key. If you send a guy to a game that literally is recording the coach's hand signals the whole game, and then you can go back to the office, if you will, and then replay said game and literally time it up with all that and have essentially a whole work week to study that and dissect that, I think that is very different than me just attending a game in person or watching a game and trying to – pick off those signs in real yeah, time. My understanding, and Mark, competitive advantage. I don't disagree with you there, Mark. I guess what I'm saying is, and that's why I was saying, I mean, I'm pleading ignorant here. My understanding was, it was that they were going and looking at the sign boards as opposed to like the hand signals, right? And just figuring out based on the law of average. I, I mean, yes, if you're going and you're secretly videotaping sidelines, I mean, that's and I don't know what the specific allegation, my understanding is the allegation is that they're looking at the sign boards and figuring out what plays run based on what sign is being So let me ask you this then, because this is another thing that just popped into my mind with this whole Michigan thing, the Houston Astros cheating scandal. I mean, this is all the same same thing. They were stealing pitch signs, and then they were just relaying to the hitter what the pitch was doing. The difference being this, the difference being... And and they didn't have to go to different places to videotape all this stuff. The difference being this, in terms of the allegation, the allegation of the Houston Astros is that the Houston Astros were using high-tech cameras live in the moment correct to look at 
pitches that were being called and then signaling to the batter in the moment right there what pitch was about to come. The allegation for Michigan is that they were sending people to games to analyze, as I understand it. Now, if you're talking about secretly videotaping coaches' hand signals, that's a different story. But my understanding from what I read was that they were looking at the huge signboards with the four, the quadrant of the four different pictures, and then figuring out, okay, when with with each signboard, what it most likely represents in terms of a formation that's going to be coming or a defensive play or offensive play that is coming based on that sign and then predicting it in the future so that then you can tell your players, hey, when we go to Wisconsin um, and, and you see them hold up, look look to the sidelines, if they're holding up something that has the Oregon Duck on it, they're most likely about to blitz. That to me is different than using a camera that is property of the University of Michigan to to look at the sidelines of the Wisconsin coaching staff, hear what they're calling, and then signal it to the helmet of the linebacker saying they just called a blitz. That's what's coming, or they just called a running play. So be sure to blitz that kind of thing. Yeah. See if it's more I, than I, I realize it's a little bit apples and, or, or ticky tack stuff, and it's not apples to oranges. I get it, but yeah. To me, if they're stealing not just like the sign board and they're mon- recording and monitoring, like let's say it's the backup quarterbacks giving hand signals or whatever to the quarterback for the play call, I think that's totally different, and I think that's part of it that we don't really know and essentially what all was being recorded in these uh when they would go to the game i I mean the reality is that jim harbaugh probably should be under ncaa penalty based on the fact that he appeared on saved by the bell as screech's cousin in 1996 that's probably the more egregious thing right don't disparage my childhood show Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You'll never guess who Screech's cousin is. Hi, everyone. I hope I'm not too late. (laughs) Jim, you made it. There it is, baby. Everyone's probably just a little bit confused because we look so much alike. But this is my cousin, the real Jim Harbaugh. Now, do you remember this, Eddie? I'm here because my. You still rolling with it? Or you're done. No. Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't. I thought that's your childhood show. It was. But Jimmy. I've, I've seen that clip, yes. But again, to be clear, the show finished its run before I was born. So, like, well, I, I am familiar with the clip. I watch okay, it all the time. I, I, I'm but. gonna, I'm gonna say one thing here. And I know that I'm going to sound like a jerk when I say it. I'm not only saying it, by the way, because, oh, because it came out before I was born. I don't need to see it. I just, Full House was the rerun show that also said that. If it came out before you were born, how was it Eddie's show of his childhood? I I didn't get that, but we went to break, so I didn't have a chance to inquire further. (laughs) I would always watch it on rerun. Right. Yeah. Say that again, Eddie. I would watch it on rerun. Right. So in other words, just because something was done before you were born, you still were aware of it, correct, Eddie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh, when he was with the Colts, um, made a cameo on Saved by the Bell, which, Jimmy, you need to go back and watch because it is the most awkward and ridiculous three minutes in time. have seen that clip again. That's how I opened my answer prior to saying that it was before my time. But, yes, I have seen the clip. Now, what? when was Saved by the Bell on? What years? I ended in 93, started in 89. And what year were you born? 95. Okay. Because it was on... I think, if I'm not mistaken, like, wasn't it, didn't it, isn't it one of those shows, though, that kind of became more famous after its run? Probably. Through, like, syndication and that kind of thing. Very much like Breaking Bad. Yeah, Breaking Bad was like that, right? Like, when it was in, you know, I don't know that most people realize that Breaking Bad was on, was it FX? 
AMC. What's that? AMC. Is that what it was, AMC? Yeah. yeah. I think most people watched Breaking Bad, streamed it, right? And Ben's watched it? Yep. Well after the fact. Um, And the other show that's like that is Family Guy. Wasn't Family Guy like canceled originally? And then people were like, wait a minute, it's hilarious. Yeah. It died on its Fox run and then DVD sales went up Correct. and they're like, oh, let's and bring they it, back. it back. Yep. Right. Um, Colts getting ready for the New Orleans Saints. Did you watch any of the game last night between the Vikes and 49ers? Yes, I did. Did you ever have a girl or have a buddy that knew a girl that you're like, why are you dating that girl? Like she's, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, I mean, or, or like some girl that you pursued and like every five times you called her, she actually answered. And every third time that she made plans, she actually followed through. But you had such a good time that, that and, and she was good looking enough and you enjoyed her enough that like you kept pursuing it despite the fact that everybody's like, dude, it's never going to happen. And that's kind of what Kirk Cousins is. Like you watched last night and you're like, that's why Minnesota has stuck by and given him so much money. Because when you watched last night, he looked, there were times he was totally on it. And that's without Jefferson out there, right? But he looked really good last night. And then you have to remind yourself, how frustrating must it be to be a Vikings fan and know that that's there, Jimmy, but but like then the other two games out of three, he's out there and he's throwing two picks and fumbling. You know what I mean? It's the weird purgatory spot for a lot of NFL franchises where you finally feel like you have your franchise quarterback, but too often the valleys are what you consistently get and the peaks only happen every now and again. And that's that's Kirk Cousins to a T. And you got the full Kirk Cousins experience last night. It started off with an interception on the opening drive. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. San Francisco going to run away from this. Their defense winds up stepping up massively in that game. And Kirk finishes 35 for 45, two touchdowns, a pick, in part because Jordan Addison has his best game as a rookie. And they're able to run the ball with Alexander Madison. And I will give a nod to the Niners. They did not have Debo Samuel, but that's life in the NFL. Sometimes you're down a guy. Oh, for sure. For most teams, right? Yes. Now, you were talking about Brack. Are we starting to now finally see? And we did this with, you know, Mac Jones is a good example. Um, Baker Mayfield initially. There have been quarterbacks that you look at and you go, man, this is the guy. And then as more time goes along and teams are able to scout and see film and whatever else, they, it illuminates the fact that there are some major cracks in the armor. Is Brock Purdy a long-term guy? Or were we sold and swindled on a guy that was a system guy and had great players around him and now people have started to figure out his tendencies and he's having to adjust to that? Probably too early to know either answer, right? I think it's probably still too early, but I've always viewed Brock Purdy and really the Shanahan offense as a whole as if you are a quarterback that has good vision, that can go through progressions quickly, and then get rid of the ball quickly, you can succeed in that offense. They have so many weapons built around you that you can be fine in there as long as you are a competent quarterback. Brock Purdy is that, no doubt. And again, having Debo Samuel not in clearly made that offense take a step back but I've always kind of viewed him as a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo like he's a talented quarterback he can run that offense I have a hard time believing that you couldn't find an upgrade over Purdy at some point in terms of what would be a peak Kyle Shanahan 49ers I mean he was good for or is good I should say still is he's really good in that system and what and what they need right he can do what it is that they need 
But maybe it, if the situation presents itself where they're going to need more, then maybe you that's do why wonder. they swung big for Trey Lance. That, that's half the reason they did it. I know he's not there anymore, but that is why they moved up to go get him. Right. Because they felt like he would be an upgrade to what they had with Jimmy G and would be able to run the offense at new heights for Kyle Shanahan. And now they're kind of back in this realm of, well, this pretty guy's pretty solid and we can still do everything we want to do offensively. Let's roll with him. But if it starts to fold when one of your best players goes down, then he I lean more towards I system. Mean, ultimately, water finds its level. Correct. And, and whether or not that's the case you know, remains to be seen if that's going to be the case in San Francisco with Brock Purdy. Mike Chappell's next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Here's the tweet of the day before we get to Mike Chappell talking about the Michigan videotaping opponent scandal. Uh, maybe Michigan got caught because their people that were videotaping Indiana were actually the last 10 people in the stadium. <laughs> Good point. That's they, a great tweet. They were amongst 100 people in the Akron game that had to move from one end of the stadium to the next every time there was a change in like the fifth overtime with the zips. Uh, joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that segue from WXIN and CBS4, the dean of covering the Colts is Mike Chappell. And uh, Chap, I will begin with this. The It's kind of probably at this point a topic ready to be put to bed, but we haven't gotten your, your thoughts on it from yesterday. The end of that game with Cleveland, do you see it as A, the Colts got the short end of the stick because of bad officiating, B, the Colts shouldn't have put themselves in that position to begin with, or C, both can be true? Probably B. Uh, first and 10 from the 20 with P.J. Walker needing a touchdown. I mean, fun. You know, get off the field. There were two or three major plays to get there that put him in that spot. And, you know, I, I understand the angst. The anger is a bit extreme to me. But I look at that first play, and, and I I thought Baker hooked him. I just thought he got beat on the inside move, and he hooked him. And the the, the, the one I didn't agree with was the second one in the end zone. You know, uh, it was uncatchable. And I just – I never hear much from the league about – first of all, first we don't know what a catch is. And now we don't know what an uncatchable pass is, but don't put yourself in that position. And a lot of Colts said that, you know. And we talked to Gus Bradley today, and he sort of said the same thing. Although it was his defense to let him to let him get in that position. So yeah, it's it's PJ Walker for you know. Anyway, I don't pile on PJ Walker today, but don't let a guy who is is a journeyman go down the field. He didn't need a field goal; he needed a touchdown. So. You know, in the end, shame on the Colts. And if you want to waste your week complaining about the officiating, you know, knock yourself out, should should not have let it get to that part. Chap, did you feel Grover Stewart's absence? I didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> the, but Colts, like... the Colts probably did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, you know, the long touchdown run, I, that's probably not him. It was somebody probably out of position, the old fit, you know, problem. Yeah, probably some, but it, it was more, you know, they missed somebody to block Miles Garrett. We may have talked about it. I wrote about it. A lot of guys did. He's the guy that in that that can do 
so much damage in four or five plays. There's not many guys that can do that. You know, the Watt brothers, the Bosa's, you know, Micah Parsons, it's, you don't notice them a lot. And then you notice them because they, they're responsible for like 17 points or whatever. Of course, he also gave them the touchdown. I believe that was him on the, on the false start. So he, you know, he takes and he gives, but he, 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 he just turned that game in the second quarter and the Colts did such a bad job in a couple of plays. The, the, the block field goal is just unearthly. You, you just, how do you prepare for that? But to leave, you know, down in the end zone, and, and Shane Steichen said that he'd like a do-over on that one where you're thrown out of the end zone, a double move, a double move out of the end zone. And you've got Drew Ogletree and, and, and Blake Freeland trying to impede Miles Garrett, which neither one did much to do that. So just a, just a – I don't put that on Grover. I uh, There were other things – more concerning, and we end up somehow somehow scoring 38 and getting beat. That's really tough to do. Mike, which do you see happening right now at a a more accelerated rate? The, the phase down, at, at no fault of his, I mean, with Jonathan Taylor playing now in, in – you know, getting more involved, kind of the 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 phase, the slowdown phase of Zach Moss away from the offense, or the emergence of Alec Pierce becoming a bigger part of the passing game. Uh, Moss, Moss, just because you paid Jonathan Taylor forty two million dollars, what was it, twenty six million guaranteed, whatever it was, for a reason. And again, it's at no fault of Zach Moss. He's I think he's still number two in the league in rushing, which is really crazy. He missed, the, he missed the opening game, or he's probably – he might be the league rushing leader, and you need to move somewhat away from him because that's how good Taylor is. We've seen, we've seen how they, they've amped him up every week, and I remember we, I talked to Jim Irsay, and he said, yeah, we're going to ease him in probably three or four weeks. Well, here, here's week four. Uh, and that doesn't mean at all you get away from Zach Moss, but they each had, what was it, 50 snaps and 18 carries – but then Taylor has those two big plays in a passing game, and he's just he's just going to give you more than what Moss does. And, and boy, you don't want that to be a knock on Moss. It's not. But that, that's what you've got to do, and that's what this is going to be going forward. It's going to be – it needs to be 23, 25 passes from Minshew without, you know, gosh, four turnovers – and and much more of, of Taylor slash Moss, thirty five. I don't know, thirty five, forty rushes if the game allows, because you this team now is not built to to throw the ball thirty five times a game. It may not have been with Richardson, with the way they wanted to use him in in the run game. So, you know, it, it, this this league is all about maximizing your strengths and staying away from your weaknesses and not putting guys in position to fail. And when you got two really, really, really good running backs, that's what you lean on. And when you look at it, Mike Chappell, our guest from CBS4 and Fox 59, when you look at Jonathan Taylor prior to this season, he is not a guy that we saw used a lot. And, Chap, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I don't recall him being a running back that was seen as a dynamic Marshall Falk out of the backfield receiving type running back. 
but he's had a few of those plays now. Can Shane Steichen invent that within him and make him a, dare I say, like Tyreek Hill level weapon where you get him in space in different areas aside from simply handoffs? I wouldn't go Tyreek Hill. There's probably Alvin Kamara. More than that, uh, we, we've seen snippets of him in the past game, and boy, someone we've seen him. Boy, he had that long was it an eighty yard with with a screen pass. I can't remember who it was against. Whether it was Frisco or who it was Baltimore, I can't remember. The games run together. I'm looking here. He's coming into this season. He had 104 catches. You know, about 30 a game, 30 a year, 800 yards, three touchdowns, with a long of 76. So he can do it. But what we what we've seen is. A, a top level play caller. And, and Steichen had he, he had a couple of times Sunday. He, he wants back. He does, but boy, you can just see what he can do with a player like like uh, Taylor. I mean, I think there was three plays out of the Wildcat, and he had a big reception against Jacksonville when he split out wide right, and he runs a wheel this week and. The, He's just a big play. You get him in space, and he's and he's a chance to go twenty yards or more. So I think they're just scratching the surface. Keep in mind, they didn't have him to do all. They could draw plays for Taylor in the offseason and training camp and all that, but they couldn't run him because he wasn't out there. So so now you're just sort of well, let's try this, let's try this, and and you work on it in practice now. But they really haven't had much time. To work on it. I remember during Edgen's, Edgen's career here, they always, yeah, we'd really like to get Edgen more involved in the passing game because he was really good getting him in space. Well, Edgen was never here, was seldom here in the offseason. So it was hard for Tom Moore to really expand that part of his game, although there were times when Edge was just a, just a big play in the pass game. Taylor's so much more than I think what Edgerton could was in the past game and can be. They're using him about every way you can, which is really cool because it forces a defense to prepare. And oh, by the way, they've got Moss, who if you give him 15 carries, he's going to get you, I don't know, 75 yards. So it's really a, it's really a good situation. But again, it's one that they're just having now a chance to explore and expand because they they haven't had him until this past month. So that leads to the other part of that question, Mike, which is, is Alec Pierce slowly now starting to, you know, people forget, and you and I have talked about this before, Chap, you know, Reggie Wayne was not a star as a rookie. I mean, it took a while for him to get going, and I remember even rumblings of like, man, is this guy ever going to get off the ground? And then it was off and running. Has Alec Pierce started to turn that corner? I think so. I thought we saw that last week. Uh, I think one of his first catches was that underneath crossing route, and which they hadn't done a lot. He he had been like that vertical guy, and now we're seeing more. And yeah, I think so. Now I I would uh, I'm guessing that at the end of the season we're going to say, boy, they just didn't use Pierce as much as they should have, or he didn't give them as much as we expected. But keep in mind, you've got Michael Pittman, who uh, I saw Nate Atkins' story in the quotes about maybe I'm not a big part of the offense. What? That, that was just wrong time, wrong place for Pitt. And I really like Pitt. And you got Josh Downs, and now you got the running game, and they didn't make much use of the tight end that they like to do. But going forward, if they run, if games stay 
winnable and all that, you're only going to throw it 25 times a game, maybe 30. Well, you know, divvy it up. You know, do the math on on who gets gets the receptions and the tu- uh, the targets. So, I think with Pierce, it might be more quality over quantity on his plays. And if he can take the top off the defense a couple times, get a get a DPI once a game or whatever, then good for him. But I think we all, I'll include myself, expected more numbers from him to this point. We haven't seen it. But I do think when they sort of now they've settled in that this is our quarterback and this is what we can do, they're sort of expanding the pass game, and I think he's going to get more shots. You keep throwing those things underneath and with JT or dot downs, it's going to leave some some shots on the outside, which is really Pierce's game. But I have seen him more active, more diverse. So I think going forward, he, now I'm not saying he's going to get six or eight catches. Maybe he will. I don't know. But I think I think he'll be more quality over quantity, which is fine as long as you know there is quality there. Mike Chapel of Fox News Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Mike, when Juju Brents went down, it was clear that at times, particularly on that last drive, the Browns tried to target Daryl Baker Jr. and did effectively, especially on the controversial calls to end the game. We talked about this yesterday. I feel like a large part of that has to go on. Chris Bauer and the lack of depth or experience that's in that secondary. Do you agree with that sentiment, A, and then B, we're a week out from the trade deadline. Do you see the Colts sniffing around to shore up or improve the secondary between now and then? Well, we've been talking, and in, in the guys in the press room, we were talking from June, July, about what they're really going to go with this this inexperienced group, and that was after you know they lose Isaiah Rogers with, with the gambling thing, and then remember they didn't have Juju for quite a while because of injuries. So yeah, this is where they are, and none of us really agreed with with this strategy. If that's you know the roster building, I guess is what you call it, because in a perfect world you were going to go with an experience with, with, with Juju and probably Dallas Flowers. That that's best case with Kenny Moore and the nickel, and now it's not best case. It, it's it's not it's close to worst case. You lose Kenny Moore, then then you're really, really hurt. You know, knock on wood all you want on Kenny Moore because he's having a great year. But the outside guys, they they're just worrisome. And I'm we haven't heard an update on Juju. I'm guessing it'll be a game or two. I've not heard more than that. Maybe it will be. I don't know. Will they bring somebody in? That wasn't asked, I don't think, specifically to Gus Bradley today, but he just made it sound like that to do that and bring a guy in and throw him in there right away, you really had to simplify things, which maybe wouldn't be a bad thing. At corner, I even asked Gus today, you know, do you consider leaving Kenny Moore outside when you're outside guys, which he plays in the base, which they're not in base a ton, but leave him outside and then kind of, mess with the nickel position, which then then what you're doing is, you know, you mess with two positions, which is ne- never a good idea. So, no, th- this is this is sort of, you know, the bed they made, and and it's, it's so hard to find somebody that's decent enough to step in and play in, in this late in the season. It just is. Uh, whether they would want to do that, whether some team wants to give up a corner, I don't know. But they're simply running out of viable options 
the other guys they've got, the Tony Brown and Chris Lehman, those guys are sort of special teams guys. They really are. So, but again, I agree that this is what this is the the roster building they did in the off season, and right now it's kind of biting them in the butt. Last year, Mike Chappell was our guest. We spent a ton of time being critical, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes maybe a little too much, of Bernard Ryman as a rookie along this offensive line. He's only been asked, the player I'm about to reference, has only been asked in injury relief to step up and be a part of the O-line. But are we doing the same thing with Blake Freeland in terms of his struggles and him just being a rookie? Or are there are there concerns there about his relief efforts over the last couple of weeks? No, I, I, no the problem, no, I think he's played okay considering. I thought he played pretty well last week. It, it, the problem is you're, you're most your precious memories are the most recent ones. And you got Miles Garrett, you know, the, the kind and, and Miles Garrett uh, whipped up on Bernard Ryman on that one around the side. Then he gets, gets past Freeland and in the tight end in the end zone. No, but, but again, this, this is what they did. This was their roster building to where they, there really wasn't a, a, a veteran swing tackle that you'd say, okay, if something happens, we can put this guy in your spot because it's been Blake Freeland, you know, a mid-round draft pick. It's just asking a lot. It's, it's you know, if you thought he was going to be that good, you would have taken him higher. And that's not meant as a knock on him. It's just he's, he needs more time to get to get his feet on the ground. But this is, that's what I say, sometimes it's, it's on the team when you put players in position that maybe they're not quite ready for. But I thought he's played, he'd played pretty well. I think he had really a top run-blocking uh, grade against Jacksonville, which was crazy because they didn't run the ball very well. But it, it's just he, – he, 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 when you're a tackle and you make a mistake, it's just going to be a bad play. It just is. Maybe, you know, Miles Garrett makes it a really bad play. But if a tackle gets beat on the edge, the quarterback's going to be in peril. But this, again, this is this is what they did in the offseason, the approach they took, and and now they're having you know as long as Braden Smith's out, he's your, he, he's your right tackle, and we don't get a really an update on Braden Smith much, but you know he's missed two games, and we'll see how long long he might be out. You know, Mike, it's interesting. With all of that, the Colts still are the only team in the league to have scored twenty points in every game this year, and they just doubled up Cleveland's. A really stout defense. I think Cleveland's obviously got a great defense, but you know they Cleveland was giving up 200 yards a game. The Colts went like four and a half against them. So right. there's reason for optimism, obviously, exactly. right? I mean, you look at it and you go, "Holy cow!" If they can keep Anthony Richardson healthy next year, which I realize is a big if, but you you start to to see why there's room for optimism, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes back to the head coach. In a quarter, they're, they're doing a really good job at, at at maximizing what they've got. Now they need more. They still need. I still. I like Pitt. I still think they need a one. I, I think they need a bona fide one receiver. I don't know how you get it. I don't. I mean, but, but they, no. This is all about finding out what these guys can do. We know what the running backs are. I think we got a pretty good idea what the tight ends can do. But when you got a young quarterback, it's about getting the pieces around him. You hope Ryman is your left tackle and then Braden will be back. So your offensive line should be pretty well set as far as the starters. But, yeah, I, 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 you've got to be encouraged. 
and I don't care who you I, – I, I need to go back and look at the stats. They're like 5-55 and 55 with four turnovers in the game since 84. I bet those five games they won were with Peyton. Because it takes a spe- or, or luck, it takes a special quarterback to, to, to you know turn the ball over like Peyton did occasionally, and then win. You know, they, remember I remember he had that six turnover game, six interception game in San Diego, and they should have won because Vinny missed a chip shot field goal. But you just you can't win. I don't with all the round you can't win with four turnovers. It's just too hard. And they had eight in two games, so I, I don't know if they beat. Jacksonville or not, you know how the game might have gone, but they darn well would have beaten Cleveland if you don't turn the ball over four times. Joining us on the program is Mike Chapel of CBS Four and WXAM Fox Fifty Nine. Chapel, let's go back to Michael Pittman. Uh, two questions here. The first being afterwards, there was, and again, I, I keep saying it, it percolated. I don't know that you would say that this is boiling over by any stretch, but there was kind of that hint from Pittman of, I need more targets. I need more looks. Yeah. He made a huge play in that game. Um, I get it. He sees the blueprint from Jonathan Taylor. He's in a contract year. Is this? Does this have potential to become a boilover distraction? I don't think so. I think this was a oh, I, I, ho- I hope and I think this was a one-off to where a player who I think I can call him the ultimate competitor type of guy to where you're thinking, you know, I could have done more. I should have done more. And, and I think that's what it was. But when you say maybe I'm not a big part of this offense, he's got 19 more targets than Josh Down does on the season. You know, he's like ninth in, his, in the league in, in receptions. So this one game, and again, they, I go back, they threw the ball 27 times this game. You know, Downs had six targets and, and he had five. It's not like he had, it's not like Reggie Wayne against the Jets in the playoff with like one target. So I, I thought it was spur of the moment where he's really frustrated because he is a big part of the offense. And, and you know, five targets, I realized they didn't target him. Through, and uh, what was it, first uh, in first quarter and a half, whatever. But it just, when you look at the numbers, you want to say, what are you talking about? You know, you're the leading receiver with targets and receptions and yards. To say that was strange. You know, wait till you get beat 27 to six and you've got two targets, two catches. Then say, well, what are we doing here? I can, I can, and the way you say this, I can help this team. I can do more. Uh, it, it, it was just, I thought the wrong time, wrong place. And I, I think if he had a chance to think about it instead of immediately after a game when we're in there. Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't say the same thing. I don't think this is going to blow up. I don't think this is a contract thing. If he stays healthy, he's going to catch 100 balls for 11, 1,200 yards. And next March or whatever, February, March, he's going to get paid buku bucks, $25 million or so a year from somebody. So I really think it was a, one, it, it was a one-off. I hope it, will, it was a one-off. So here's the thing, chap. What what fascinates me about Michael Pittman, I don't disagree. He's a really good player. And I don't disagree that he may not be a number one. But is it possible that he is in fact and can show himself to be a, a reliable number one if you upgrade the number two below him? In other words, you've got two guys. I mean, Alec Pierce starting to show some things. Downs is going to be a really good player, but we know that he's more of like a crossing route, you know, t- kind of guy. 
if they get another big target, another big kind of deep ball target to go alongside him, does that elevate to the point then? In other words, have we gotten a fair evaluation based on supporting cast of what Pittman looks like as the number one? Probably not. Uh, we may have talked about this last week or two weeks ago. Stephen Holder mentioned, and it's true, he's got like 600-yard games from from four quarterbacks. So the, the, I think that this quarterback carousel they've been on has really made it difficult for me to really evaluate what he can be. But at the same time, we were talking because we talk a lot when there's nothing going on. I kind of compare him to, to Miles Turner with the Pacers to where, boy, you want more. You want him to do something more. Well, th- this is Miles Turner, who's a really, really good player. And Michael Pittman, you want more whatever, but he's still a really good player. And I was talking to Rick Venturi, and he and I disagree pretty strongly about Pitt. But but somebody's going to pay him $25 million, and if you don't pay him, somebody will. But like your point is, if you bring in somebody, maybe not a, a pure number one, because those guys are – you're not going to get Justin Jefferson or, or Stephon Diggs. You're not. But get a guy that that is at his level, then, then does he get better? Right. And, and I don't want to say you're, you're settled, but is, is that good enough with everybody else? Probably so. So, yeah, that's a good point. And people keep talking Marvin Jr., they're going to win too many games. They're going to win what seven, eight, nine games. They could, look especially at you look at their schedule, man. I mean, look the next, schedule. I mean, holy! <laughs> that, that, that's why Sunday hurt. That's why Sunday hurt. So you're not the only way you're going to get Marvin Jr. is for Jim Irsay to say, "Well, Chris, we're going to give up our entire draft class and something next year to give up to get up to what four? How high you have to get three, four? So in, in free agency, it costs you a boatload to get." that guy just just say a christian kirk look what he got was it last year and, and then use inflation and then you're you're in the mid you're in the mid 20s so but no i agree if they can get another strong two who, who has more speed and all that then i think that group is good enough and i know people there's still pitman detractors out there but i i'm not one of them i think he, i think he's a very good player that that if you don't re-sign him, it's going to be really, really hard and really expensive to replace him. So, but it, but it's but that's what it's all about. It's about finding out what you've got this year, and when AR comes back next year, you've got this group, whatever this group is, you've got a better group around him because that that's what it's all about is giving your young quarterback as strong a supporting cast as you can. After his post yesterday on social media by Jim Irsay showing that he was about to take his amphibious four-wheeler into the pond near his residence, we need an update today, Chap. That's your responsibility. You are in charge of making us of making us all aware that, yes, in fact, Jim Irsay made it out okay. Well, maybe all we're going to get is like a picture of that, that, that four-wheeler like in the middle of the pond, <laughs> you know, and and then, and then and then it's left up to you to say what happened. <laughs> I know you're right, and and Abby's hat pick as to whether or not he got out all right. Yeah. Well, see, when, when, when we got off here, I had to go over to my rental property and do some leaf mulching. I think I'll get in my helicopter and zip over like with, four blocks with your own two it. hands. That's right. That's right. He's the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59, CBS 4. Chap, last thing for me, Pacers win totals over under 37 and a half. 
wins. I know you don't dabble in the betting side, so I'll phrase it this way. Over under 37 and a half Pacers related Mike Chapel raccoon gifs. Over. My raccoon's clapping his hands. Love it. Love it. You can follow him on Twitter at mchapel 51 We'll talk to you next week, Chap. Later. Love it. You saw the Ursay tweet, right? I did. <laughs> He's sitting in... <laughs> We'll play it for people next. How's that? Because it was fun. Yeah. Right? It was fun. I'm not sure exactly what he was doing, and his hair color looks to be different. Uh, And Stephen Holder joins us in 30. By the way. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The Jim Irsay tweet. The audio just probably not good enough to play over the radio, unfortunately. But I, I would assume most have seen it by now. But yesterday he sent a tweet around dinner time where he was sitting on a four-wheeler next to a helicopter it was playing ccr in the tweet and he basically just said hey i just landed this helicopter with my bare hands and now i'm on this four-wheeler it's amphibious and i'm gonna drive it across this pond and go to dinner and then he just drove it off towards the water and the video ended in complete suspense of what happened like did he did he make it out it was like the ending of the sopranos Sorry, didn't mean to be a spoiler alert. One of the comments, ain't no way that thing's amphibious. Someone go pull Jim out of the pond. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, for real, right? The videos are classic, but at least they're no more next to the airplane, right? All chips in, period. All chips in, period. You know, I'm kind of surprised that just for the effect, and I guess it didn't matter because the video is shot so far away you can't hardly hear him i guess i'm more surprised that the helicopter wasn't on just for the brand purposes totally, of it totally I, yeah that's <laughs> that would be perfectly on brand right okay i just got the following text jake there is no way that michael Pittman's going to make 25 million next year okay i don't disagree with that overall sentiment until you look at wide receiver salaries for next season let me, without you guys looking, I'm right. going to read right now. We're going to do a little game here, like the Price is Right. Remember the Price is Right game where they had the, you get the plastic thing and it, and it scales up the prices and then you stop and you want, if it's under, if if you get it, the price is like where your little, the cover thing area is, you win. Sure. So I'm going to name off wide receivers. And if you were slotting Michael Pittman Jr., in terms of his level of receiver, when I get to the one, as I'm reading off these receivers, when I get to the receiver that you think he is now no longer better than, you tell me to stop. Or, excuse me, like like not as good as. You tell me to stop, right? So as I slide it down, we're going to rank Michael Pittman Jr., okay? So once you've set a receiver that's worse than him, I'm to tell you to stop? Correct. Like if, if I was to give you a – so I've got a list of receivers. Sure. You're going to get – the nameplate that says Michael Pittman Jr., and you've got to go up and you've got to place it on the wall in the spot where you feel he slots. Okay. Okay? Here are the names of the receivers. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Stephon Diggs, 
Chris Goodwin, Tyler Lockett, Devontae Adams, DK Metcalf, Christian Kirk. Stop. So you think after Metcalf or above Metcalf? I'd put him after Metcalf. And above Christian Kirk, right in that group, right? Yes. Okay, Christian Kirk, $24,384,000 on a previously signed deal. So that puts Pittman at roughly $25 million, right? Yes. I mean, if you look at the salaries of receivers next year, Keenan Allen, 34.7. Mike Williams, 32.4. Tyreek Hill, 31. Cooper Cup, 29.8. Debo Samuel, 28.5. Stephon Diggs, 27.8. Christian Goodwin, 27.5. Tyler Lockett, 26.8. Devontae Adams, 25.3. DK Metcalf, 24.5. So the market value for him would be right at $25 million, right? I'd say, yeah. That's probably what he winds up getting. And again, that probably, I don't disagree, that probably is an overpay. But that's the reality of it. And then you look at, if you go past that to 25, okay, let's go to the 2025 salaries already set. Devontae Adams, 44. Tyreek Hill, 34.2. Cooper Cup, 30. DK Metcalf, 30. So DK Metcalf, $30 million in two years. So he is going to, the market says he's going to get somewhere around 25 a year. That's absurd, but that's the reality. You don't have to think he's that good, but that's that's what the market says. I think that the Colts, and this will be conversations for January, I know, but you should still be thinking about it because you're planning around Anthony Richardson and you know that the Colts are already scouting ahead for what this team's going to look like in 2024. I would like to see them retain Michael Pittman Jr., and I would like to see them go out and get another weapon on offense. Do you want to know what Tyreek Hill's going to make in two years? Oh, it's insane. It's like north of 50. He's already locked in, obviously, with Miami, right? He's going to make 30. The last two years of that deal are gross. Tyreek Hill. Yeah, but that gets skewed, right? That's the trap I fell under. Like, yes, the AAV, like that's his average, but some of these contracts are backloaded, which is interesting. Correct. Tyreek Hill, if he's on the roster for the Dolphins in 2026, $56,308,000. I mean, the way he's playing right now, I'd pay that money. Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. But think twice about but it. But that, that kind of player, though, can fall off a cliff quickly. That's the problem, right? That's why you backload it. Because I didn't realize he was 29. That's why the Chiefs traded him. I mean, that's part of the reason, right? They wanted to get younger. They wanted to invest in other well, places, and, the, and they were banking on it falling off at some point. Clearly, Jimmy, the Chiefs have learned <laughs> that when you have Mahomes and Kelsey, you can... You can get away with it, yes. As I have always said, okay... And this was like we talked about with Jonathan Taylor when I was on the morning show, and and Kevin and I talked a lot about the Taylor negotiations. You look at any player during negotiations and determine if you are able to replicate their production at 70% the level of production, but do so at 30% the cost, you do it every time. And if you look at the players, Tyreek Hill is an unbelievable talent, right? He's insane. But at 56 million... I mean, the Chiefs are able to play, you know, you look at it, the guys that they've got that they can plug in, their system, their engine is the combo of Mahomes and Kelsey. And then it's a matter of just auxiliary piston parts around it. And they have been able, if you look at the guys that they've had that have come through there, they've been able to to facilitate for big time production for other guys on first year deal, you know, on, on initial contract yes. deals. And then rinse and repeat, chew up, spit out, and move along. 
the Colts did it with Edron. I can't believe they're getting rid of Edron James. And the, the, who's this guy, this this Adi that they drafted out of LSU? Well, I mean, Joseph and I was a nice, solid player for them, and they sure. got to Super Bowl with them and won a Super Bowl with them because the, the, the system was Manning with Harrison and Wayne and then the bookend defensive players. The rest were auxiliary Pistons, and that's what you that's the way you ultimately want to build it, right? That's not the I mean, once Patrick you have Holmes doesn't grow in trees. Correct. Once you have the franchise piece in place, you can take liberties at areas that might seem mind-boggling that you would move on from them, but you can make it up with a good quarterback, right? Like that's tale as old as time. Once you have the quarterback figured out, you can pretty much plug and play where you want to offensively. I mean, the, do you realize who the the Chiefs' highest-paid receiver is going to be in two years? I mean, obviously they're going to re-sign some people. Look at the Chiefs, okay, right now. Who's the Chiefs' highest-paid receiver on the roster, on their mm-hmm. roster? Right now, I'd say if we're taking Kelsey off because he's a tight end, I would probably say MV, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Correct, $11 million a year. That's our highest. And Justin Ross, by the way, just got a felony. Did you see that? He did, but apparently I, I, I realized it's the second day in a row that we're modifying things in terms of law enforcement. Uh, it was initially like $25,000 of property damage. Now it's less than 1000 It's a misdemeanor. I don't know. Whatever. But yes. That, oh, really? I, I did see that. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't see what the... Justin Ross, the receiver for the Chiefs, who was a... Re, you may recall his breakthrough game was the national championship game between Clemson and Alabama when he was a freshman. He had two unbelievable plays. And then he had a neck surgery that basically ended his college career. But the Chiefs signed him to an undrafted free agent deal. He's worked his way onto the roster. And I didn't see. I mean, I just saw property damage. I'm like, well, what did he do? Did he trash a hotel room? None of that was released in terms of what he did. But initially the thought was that initial reporting of criminal damage of greater than $25,000 – now it is criminal damage, less than a thousand, and another misdemeanor crime of domestic battery. You've no been priors. arrested, Jimmy? No, Eddie. Nope. Alave got arrested last night too. I don't know if you saw that one. Oh, Chris Alave, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Alave's was what was the what was he? What's the what's the biggest oh. speeding ticket you've ever gotten? I haven't gotten one. Come on, never. What do you I've, drive? What do you drive a Buick? I drive Oldsmobile? a uh, 2017 Chevy Malibu. You've never gotten a speeding ticket. Never been pulled over, and I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Jimmy, guess what's going to happen to Eddie I in know. the next 48 hours? Is this is this real wood here? You better knock on it. Jimmy, what's the highest speeding ticket you've ever gotten? Uh, 75, 77, maybe. Okay. My driving record's a disaster. It's been great forever, but it's from years 18 to like 35. <sighs> Let me tell you something. Shady. Sketchy. I will say on the Justin Ross stuff, I know it doesn't matter for the market, but just for clarity, as I read more on it, because it's finally been released today, uh, it could be a domestic thing. So let's hold the phone on that. Says that a woman who identified herself as Ross's girlfriend said Ross had torn up the house, broke her cell phone. We're headed down an area of not great. So Yeah, that's, that's an ugly situation, yeah, right? Very ugly. So we'll see. Uh, last night, did you watch the? You said you watched a little of the Vikings Niners game. How much did you watch of the Rangers and Astros? Uh, that was on like a secondary screen, kind of glancing at it every now and again. And once it became clear it was night night for the Astros, now, I now, left. You know what I was able to determine? Eddie? What's that? You guys know my secret about Jeopardy, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and let me give you a little tip, little insider trading, little inside tip for those of you, right? Especially you degenerates. 
if if this is the case in future games, and I don't know whether it will be or not, maybe it is tonight, I'm not certain. But I noticed last night's game, seventh game, game seven, ALCS, winner goes to the World Series. It was on FX. It was also on Fox Television. But Fox Television was carrying the, the I'm sorry, not FX, FS1. It was on FS1 and then regular Fox Television. But Fox Television was taking the FS1 feed. So if you watched on FS1 and then sw- and then hit last on your remote and switched over to Fox, running eight to nine seconds behind, guy hits fly ball deep right, catch third out, quickly flip over to Fox, pitcher just getting into rotation. You know what? I bet this guy goes fly out deep right. What do you want to bet? You get somebody <laughs> who is casually sitting and watching the game that is addicted to watching TikTok videos on the phone and or perhaps Real Housewives of Orange County on a side television. You can basically get all kinds of wagers. I'll bet you right now this guy's going to hit this in the gap. Two runs are going to score. Bingo. Let me take you down a further hole. And I can't remember the term. And I know that you're just going to love this because you're 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 all things gambling like Eddie and I. There's a term one eight hundred nine with indeed, it. Indeed, if you have a problem. There's a term for being in person at a sporting event for the sole purpose of trying to beat the relay on the sportsbook app for like certain situational bets. So when put this to me, speak speak this to me like a second grader who has never actually so it, you, you want to do it? Yeah. Okay, here's here's ahead. an example I think Jimmy's hinting at here. So let's say, Jake, you're at the Colts game on Sunday against the Saints. Mm-hmm. You've got the DraftKings Sportsbook app open on your phone. Okay. You're looking at the drive result for that particular drive, let's say for the Saints. You've got it clicked on, let's say it's a turnover or whatever whatever it's labeled it as, and you have some money just waiting to push place bet. You're at the game live, so you see it happen live. You push the bet before it closes it out on the sports book. Boom. You just won money. Is that possible? It's hard to do, but it is possible. And the reason it's more advantageous to do it in person is because when you're at home, you're on basically the same delay that the sports book is in of terms course. of... It's difficult to do because they usually lock it like very so quickly. So here's the thing. That is so the thing Jim Harbaugh do. should be sending people to games <laughs> yes. to be doing Correct. this as opposed to actually stealing Correct. signs, right? Yes. yes. Like, do me a favor and just go to the game and 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 just start wagering on what's going to happen on every play. Now, I think I told you guys the one the last time I tried to do that, it was like a it was the next pitch, you know, wagering on what was going to happen, and it was like plus six fifty of the, that it was going to go in play. I'm like, I'll take that, and I hit it. It was Mookie Betts, I think, was the batter, and boom, hits it in play, and I'm like, Phew, I just turned five bucks into thirty two fifty like that, right? But when I looked at it, I'm like, oh wait a minute, it wasn't taking it for that batter. It was actually taking it for the first pitch of the next batter on the next half of the inning, which was like a called strike, and so I lost my five bucks. By the way, Rangefinder, according to JMV, the game that I was trying to identify on the Price is Right, Rangefinder. That's the one where the little thing slides and you've got to hit it. You got to get mm. the price within the range of the plastic shield that is sliding up and down the number. My head always goes to cliffhangers. Cliffhangers the best. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, you know, in all honesty, though, Plinko. Yeah, no, like, I mean, people love Plinko. I, I, I'm all about cliffhanger because of the music. Same. I, I don't care about the game. I just like the soundtrack. Same. Agreed. And the little fella's fun, right? I like to incorporate it into broadcast sometimes when the referee's trying to figure out where the punt went. Wait, you do that with the yodel? So, like, you yodel as every, every, every now and again. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Can you do it for us right here? Oh, you opened up a can of worms, Jimmy. 
You know how it goes. Hold lady, hold lady, hold lady, oh, Beautiful. You you do it better than I. Well, I went falsetto. I can't actually yodel. Wow, that's impressive. Eddie, you got a version? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I did not partake in this. No. <laughs> not enough caffeine in your chai tea? Nope. Nope. Okay. By the way, Stephen Holder joins us for tea, and he does it at 2 o'clock. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I can't tell if that's Jimmy or the show. But here's the thing. There's not a single person listening right now that just didn't turn up the radio. Because that song it's a jam. jams. Yep. Totally. Straight game show banger right there. I mean, it is great, man. There's no doubt. I, the I asked a, a question on Twitter a while ago, like, what's the best game on The Price is Right? And several people mentioned the, the hole-in-one. Just because Bob Barker would always sink the hole in one. I was always befuddled by the fact that Pen Seekers was the brand of golf clubs they gave away. And I've never heard of anybody ever since using Pen Seekers. Ever. And then there's the... Drew Carey, I think, is a really funny guy. I loved his stand-up bit. I liked his TV show. I like his enthusiasm for the city of Cleveland. How he is still the host of The Price is Right to me is a total mystery. I love him in every role except for that. He is just like so bored have you guys do you ever watch with him on there he just seems bored well so fortunately i'm here getting ready for the (laughs) show so i I can't true i i have seen it since no one was gonna replace in terms of the energy and just the fun happy-go-lucky bob barker mentality as a host and obviously jake you saw it throughout its entirety my bob barker experience is you know 98 onward yeah i get it but I feel like it's just a different it's a different vibe and I don't know that there is I mean I haven't looked through it who could possibly replace him one day but I mean I think Drew Carey does an okay job it's fine he's okay but like he just he seems bored like I said like the the when they had the guy that had the exact bid did you guys ever see that one literally a guy had a perfect bid right sure now I'm going to pull it up here and I'll let you know when, when it's ready and I'll play it. I, I'm like a guy literally. So the, the rule is that if you get within what, $100, you win both bids, right? So this guy, not only is he going to We're talking win Showcase both, Showdown. Showcase Showdown, okay. right? Yep. So you would think that it would be like, holy cow, like da 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 da. Listen to Drew Carey's level of excitement and astonishment and amazement and the fact that in the like 50-year history of this show, nobody's ever come within like probably more than 80 bucks within and this guy gets it to the exact dollar, $23,743, okay? This is how unbelievably excited Drew Carey was. Actual retail price, $23,743. You got it right on the nose. You went by showcase. Hasn't happened since 72 or 73. Right in the nose. 
I mean, did get your pet spayed or Maybe it's because he thought the guy was a total scam. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe. Because the guy, like, really, like, his his enthusiasm, the guy's, like, his, he he acts surprised. And I didn't, I think I later there was a documentary about the fact somebody in the crowd knew how to do it. Yes. And tipped him off, right? <laughs> like, come on. The, uh, maybe Drew Carey was worried there was some advanced scouting going on. And Jim that's Harbaugh why he was, was so exactly. Jim Harbaugh had Correct. somebody buy a hundred tickets. Correct. If you're going to be in the Studio City area, please write to CBS. <laughs> somebody from Ann Arbor, Michigan, just got twelve tickets. Again, I go back to. To me, the NCAA should sanction the University of Michigan. Prohibit them from going to a bowl this year. Kick them out of the college football playoff. And they should do so because. If this turns out to be true, and they have irrefutable evidence, if the NCAA determines that the University of Michigan was under some sort of an assumption that they needed to go back channel, below board, illegal means to beat Indiana, then they should be kicked out of the Big Ten, right? A one, a two, you know what to do. I mean, you need video to beat this team. <laughs> they went to seven overtimes against Akron. Come on. You need video to steal signs from those guys? They don't even they don't even know what quarterback they're using, let alone the defense. If the list of schools that they went to comes out, I would be stunned. If Memorial Stadium's what, on it. What if it's every school but Indiana? What if it's like... <laughs> right, look it up. That's they, they, sent, they sent scouts to go scout Central Michigan and Akron, but not Indiana. I mean, here's the thing. They're like, listen, guys, we figured it out. Anytime that they hold up a sign that has Howard the Duck, they're running a formation where they still don't know who the quarterback's going to be on that play. That's what, it, that's what it boils down to, right? I think this is... Because I agree with you, Jake. There's no way that other schools aren't doing this in some capacity. Correct. I think this is the NCAA trying to flex their muscles and show that hey, we still matter. We're going to make try to make yeah, an example out right. of Michigan and listen, we're going to take them to task. In today's world, I mean, kidding aside, in today's world, give me a Power 5 school off the top of your head, Eddie Garrison. Clemson. Okay, Clemson. Give me another Power 5 school off the top of your head, Eddie, or Jimmy. Texas. Texas. So Clemson's got a big game against Texas. In today's world, there's no way that Clemson University doesn't have somebody on their staff who doesn't know somebody whose kid, nephew, whatever, goes to University of Texas, and they don't say, listen, if you go to the game and before each play, you send us a, 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 screen, a snapshot. I mean, everybody in the place has a phone. Send a picture of the sideline, and then with it on that accompanying text, tell us what play they ran. Send us twenty of those, and we'll give you a thousand bucks. There's no way that doesn't happen. Oh look, this he just he sent a picture. There's four squares that the backup quarterback's holding up on the sideline, and on that play, he says they ran a a tight end flare, whatever. Okay, well look. They, they, uh, 18 plays later, they ran that same play, and there's a board, and oh, the one consistent is the skipper from Gilligan's Islands on both those sides. So let let them know. If you see the skipper on a board, they're running a play to their tight end. Easy peasy, right? There's no way that doesn't happen. 
My mom just texted me a picture, Jake. Oh, really? The caption was, cheers. Hope yours was good, too. What's that? She texted me a picture. Ah, she's, so she cheers. had some Thai tea. Yes. Must be genetic, right? I guess so. There's this weird fascination with a snobby tea that <laughs> looks like it's full of cream, and snobby. you say it's not. Wow. Yes, my chai tea. Uh, I'm just going to settle in with some chai tea and listen to Stephen Holder talking about Miami and uh, the Colts, and he's going to do it next. For those curious. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Which probably encompasses... Eddie, Jimmy, and maybe my mom, maybe Eddie's mom, since she's drinking the chai tea. Uh, Stephen Holder and I failed, thank goodness, to come up with any sort of a legitimate wager in the Clemson-Miami game. And I think in the end, in the long run, and I don't say this because Miami won the game in overtime over Clemson, but I think Stephen would agree with me that it's probably a good thing that we did not wager that because that then would mean a public confession that either of us watched the game because it was a terrible football game. Now, Stephen, is that a fair statement? It, it, it is. It is. I felt like no one really wanted to win that game. And and I mean that in, in, in a figure of speech. And also, I mean it in terms of uh, Mario Cristobal's coaching at the end. Yeah, it was yeah. bad. It was bad all the way around. I mean, Clemson had a – Clemson this year has had five – count them – five times this year where they've been at first and goal, and they have zero points out of those five possessions. That's incredible. It's brutal, like, right? That's hard to do. Uh, it's it's actually you yeah. Just it's fall into one. <laughs> it's kind of impressive, right? Um, it is. Okay, so let's begin with this the the Colts Browns game. We've talked at nauseum now about the two plays at the end, and and yeah. you know obviously the the kind of defensive breakdown on the final drive. So uh, the first thing, and I, I realize that some of this, we're not going to have concrete answers just yet, but when the injury reports come out for this week or when Shane Steichen deals uh, or, or talks to the media and just kind of gives updates on where guys are, who are we keeping an eye on in terms of where they are health-wise against New Orleans coming up? Well, I'll start with, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll start with Juju Branch because just from the tone of defensive coordinator Gus Bradley's comments earlier today, it sounds like he's going to be out at least for this game, if not beyond, because he was asked, you know, what steps are they taking to kind of fill that spot? And he, he said it was the subject of a lot of discussion among the coaches. So uh, this doesn't strike me as something that's a small thing. Uh, th- this is a potentially serious injury. Just, you know, is what I gleaned from what he was saying. You know, among the things they discussed was, was moving Kenny Moore to the outside corner and having someone else fill in as the nickel corner. The problem with that is that Kenny Moore is very dynamic from that spot. If you take him out of it, then you kind of lessen uh, the, the ways in which you can use him. So they don't want to do that. They'll, they'll just find another option. And obviously, one of those options is Daryl Baker Jr. on the outside. So that's why this is an issue. Now, he was – regardless of what you think about the about the interference calls 
Uh, Daryl Baker Jr. was targeted the minute he went in the game. Okay, and I'm just going to be honest. I mean, the Browns read the scouting report, and the scouting report says we don't think this guy can play. I, they had to they had to have said that because that's exactly what they did. Was they went after him as soon as Juju Brents went out. So that that initial excuse me that last drive, uh, it was it was bad even before the penalties, and and Daryl Baker was involved in some of that. So anyway. That's the big injury that I think is is an issue for them right now. Uh, I, I don't know the status of Eric Johnson. Now, we wouldn't normally be talking about Eric Johnson because most people either don't know who he is or don't know anything about him, but he is their backup nose tackle, and Grover Stewart is out already. And so he went down after the game. I saw him in a boot afterward, so I think they're going to have uh, some, some questions there, and that's an issue because you saw that early – uh, the early touchdown right up the middle, at the, the kind of touchdown that the Colts don't give up against the running game very often. So anyway, long answer, but two, criti- two critical injuries to watch. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, it's easy for Michael Pittman Jr.'s comments to get lost in the national cycle when Washington Commanders defensive lineman Jonathan Allen had a rant for the ages about how he feels about the Commanders and where things are headed after their loss to the Giants. It was awesome. Clearly, Michael Pittman Jr. is not yet in those waters, but for the first time that I can remember frustration expressed publicly by him about what's going on with the offense, even though the numbers would show, especially the last two weeks, he was pretty heavily involved. Is that a spark that could lead to a bigger fire, or is it just frustration and he'll probably either walk back or disregard those comments in a week's time? So I'll start by saying this. Those of us who, who talk to Michael Pittman on a regular basis, like you know, in a casual manner in the locker room, will not be surprised by what he said because <laughs> – he is refreshingly honest, okay? I'm going to tell you. Now, he doesn't say that stuff on the record generally, but Michael Pittman, I, I know where he stands on just about everything, and, and he's very honest, and I love that about him because a lot of times he confirms the things that I'm already thinking. I'm like, hey, did you guys screw up on this or that? Yeah, yeah, we did, yep, and here's how it happens, and, and he'll just go on and tell you. Now, you know, a lot of times those things are not published, but – but again, that what I'm trying to say is that that's kind of who he is. He he doesn't pull punches. Uh, he's he's a pretty honest guy, and so I, I don't think anyone in the building would be necessarily surprised at what he said because he's pretty direct, and and I think he understands his place on the team as as someone with some some time invested and has had a lot of contributions. So anyway, that's the context, and I say that because. I think that's important. I think if he's a guy who maybe isn't highly thought of or isn't well-liked or respected, it could be seen differently, and it, it would be received differently. You know, I think Michael Pittman, the one thing you can say about him is that, you know, he plays hard. He plays away from the ball. He plays with the ball. Uh, he does everything that's asked of him. So I'm okay with it. I personally didn't understand the timing of it. I would say that, but but I don't think it's going to be a thing, if you will. You know, Shane Steichen was asked about it yesterday, and, and he kind of said, look, you know, I look at it like that's a guy who, 
who wants to contribute and a guy who wants the ball, and I'm okay with that. And I would agree. I think that's okay. Now, the the other thing is, if if there's three or four more games like that where Michael Pittman's not involved, then maybe it's different. But I don't anticipate that. Uh, he's always been involved a lot. He's their most targeted guy. I don't anticipate that changing like for good. So assuming that's the case, uh, then I think this blows over. So here's a question, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest, ESPN.com. And this might be cart before the horse. But I'm curious of this. Michael Pittman Jr. is in a contract year. He saw Jonathan Taylor, his teammate, skulk a little bit, not really hold out officially, but kind of went yeah. a little bit public, maybe through the agent I mean, more than the player. It was a holdout. But right. <laughs> but I mean, not officially, right? Like yeah, it wasn't know, like the old age holdout. Yes. And then ends up getting exactly what it was that he was looking for. Yeah. Does that set a precedent that the groundwork's being laid towards? So that requires us kind of, you know, extrapolating, you know, some things that we, we can't say for sure because Michael Pittman hasn't said that. However, here's what I think we can say. Michael Pittman was play, was was paying close attention to that situation. He had to. He had to be. Um, you You are with a team that has not really invested at wide receiver, not really paid guys at that position. So, so that's that's going to be a question for you. Um, I I think that, you know, he was also interested in a contract extension. He wasn't jumping up and down about it. He wasn't ranting and raving about it. But but he definitely was open to it and was willing to listen. And the Colts decided not to do that. So to then see another guy maybe take a different route and then ultimately get what he was looking for, it would get my attention. You know, I'm not suggesting that there are any ulterior motives in what Michael Pittman said. I have no idea. But I think it's a fair question to ask. That's totally fair. Totally fair. I would say this, too, that that Pittman is, you know, look, he is – I'm not trying to paint him in a certain way here. He's he's all in. Like he plays hard, and and he's he's never played for anybody else or expressed any interest in going anywhere else. But I also think don't get it twisted. Michael Pittman will play for whoever pays him. I'm just telling you now, okay? Like if someone rolls out a red carpet and they say name your price, my man is going to listen. He's a businessman, and as they all should be. Okay, I don't ever have a problem with a player wanting to get paid. You know, so I think Michael Pittman is pretty honest about that in some of those frank conversations that I was referring to. I don't think that there's any doubt that, that the Colts are going to have to step up if they want to keep him and and do what it takes because I do think there will be a market for him. The, the, the problem he's going to find potentially is that there is a good crop of potential uh, wide receivers and free agency coming up, but a lot of that list is going to be uh, curtailed by – by the franchise tag and or contract extensions. So, you know, if he makes it to free agency, he could be one of the premier guys available. So with that said, Stephen, you know, I, I think we know who Pittman – I mean, I think Pittman's a really good player. And we were talking about it earlier with Chap. You know, is he is he a true number one? Well, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we can't truly assess that just yet because – 
maybe he hadn't had the supporting cast underneath them of a dominant number two in terms of a receiver, right? But give me – so to segue from that in terms of analysis of players, give me a player on the roster that we thought we knew for certain that, in fact, there were no questions left about them and they were established at that position that we might have prematurely decided. And, in fact, they may be evaluating at this point still – despite the fact that we thought that was a position that was lock, stock, and barrel taken care of? Hmm. That's, that's a tricky one. Um, so you're talking about, about a pl- – let me just make sure I'm clear. Well, for example, like who- Bernard Ryman, we thought, Bernard, we thought, okay, you know what, right. like it looks like they've got that taken care of at left tackle. It, are we sure of that still, or are there still questions yeah, yeah, yeah. there? Or if it's not that position, give me a position where that thought process would be applicable. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, that's a good one. I I don't want to 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 say this in the wrong way. I want to make sure that I'm clear. Um, all right, safety is an interesting position right now because it looks like they have a good situation. Julian Blackman, I think, is having a really good season, and and then Rodney Thomas was just a a revelation last year. Never saw that coming, and he's been pretty good this year. So. Now you would you would think all right well they'll just keep those guys intact, uh, but sometimes you you have to kind of cut some corners you know just to manage the salary cap and things like that. And I wonder what they do with Julian Blackman now that he is a free agent, because you do have Nick Cross sitting there and waiting in the wings. They drafted him in the third round. They really like him. Uh, he had a really slow start last season, so he has kind of postponed you know his his coming out party i guess but um but they haven't found a way to get him on the field and part of that is because they have good talent in front of him but they would like to get him on the field they've talked about it and and they're looking for ways to do that that's one of those situations where uh, i would compare it perhaps to what we have seen at linebacker over the years with the colts which is where they have really cultivated just a a great pipeline of talent over the years. They keep drafting guys late in the draft and these guys just go on and, 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 you know, sort of take each other's jobs year after year after year, you know? And so we saw that Anthony Walker moves on, you know, Bobby O'Karake moves on and then somebody slides in there and takes their job and like Zaire Franklin now. So I, I think there's a possible, possible situation like that at corner, excuse me, at, at safety, you know, with Julian Blackman. It is not a knock on Julian Blackman whatsoever. It's not. In fact, the the argument is that it, it's quite the opposite, that he's actually pretty good and maybe would ask for a, a contract that maybe they don't want to pay. And then and they have another option there. So, I mean, that's very, very hypothetical, but I think I think it's something, and it's maybe not exactly the answer you were looking for, but I, but I think that's an interesting situation to watch. ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Steven, we've been waiting since March for them to decide to make significant upgrades, both from a depth standpoint and starter caliber standpoint in the secondary. And it seems like Juju Brents is going to miss some time. No clear indication yet how long that will be. Is the deadline, which is a week away, the time that they finally decide to shore up and add there? Or do you expect them to stand pat and let it ride for the rest of the year? That is a good question. I, before we even got to the trade deadline, I was talking to one of my colleagues in the press box the other day, and I was thinking, like, there's 32 teams, right? So there's 31 other teams 
they all have X number of players on their practice squad. Are you telling me there's not one cornerback out there on somebody's practice squad that you could say, you know, let's give this guy a try. <laughs> I mean, like, there's not one guy out there. I mean, I don't know, man. I, and I don't want to beat up on Daryl Baker, but they benched him. They benched him. It was them. They did it. I didn't do it. They did it. You know what I'm saying? It's like you said what you said by your actions. <laughs> so I think that this conversation should have been happening already. Instead, they just kept pecking away at their depth, and the depth keeps getting eroded. So now we're back to square one. And so Daryl Baker is now the next man up again. And that's not where they want to be. So I don't know. I I guess your question is, is fair. You know, could they – could they find someone at corner? The problem is I don't know how many expendable corners are out there. Uh, it's it's a premium position that's you know tends to have a shortage, frankly. So it's not. I don't I don't see any magic bullet there. I just don't. And it's going to be an I think it's potentially an, a season long problem for them. And and I don't know how they you know how they overcome that. Stephen. When my time comes, it's entirely possible that on my headstone there will be a bad analogy because I'm kind of, you know, I, I I will admit to the fact that I probably offer some bad analogies, right? But the one that actually I've always been proud of is I've always said offensive linemen and defensive backs are like cell phone chargers and sunglasses. You can never have too many of them because uh-huh. you are constantly losing them and or they're just breaking before your very eyes. And with that, it also seems like they're the easiest thing that you can find replacement players for. Did they get burnt? I mean, did the Colts get burnt? Like, how are they in the position where they are this thin in the back in the defensive backfield? Or is it because they had to use assets elsewhere for roster spots? Well, I'll start by saying if you looked at if I gave you my Amazon login, okay, and you looked at my orders, half of the order history would be cell phone chargers. <laughs> no question, right? <laughs> because you can buy the El Cheapos. Here's the thing. You can buy the El Cheapos at the gas station that are knockoffs and they work great sure. for like a month and a half and then they just don't work anymore. And I, and that's probably like the waiver <laughs> right. wire for corners, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, how they end up here? I mean, honestly, uh, it, injuries really are a part of this too. I mean, it, you know, we just talked about Juju Brents, I, I don't know that that's some kind of season-ending thing, but uh, you know it, it's an issue for the time being at minimum. Uh, they also had uh, Dallas Flowers. You know, don't don't forget that. I mean, Dallas Flowers was was certainly at, at best or at minimum a, a serviceable corner um, and was trying to develop into something more. You know, he's on injury reserve. I, I believe that was an Achilles, so that that hurts. And so then you go back to, you know, Isaiah Rogers and then you trade Stephon Gilmore uh, before that. And that's fine. I mean, if Gilmore wanted out, I think, you know, a veteran of that stature, I'm inclined to give him what he wants. And I think he did express that to the Colts. So I don't necessarily criticize them for, for making that decision. What I, what you can criticize them for is not investing more heavily at that position. They did, really go hard in the draft at that position. That is that is true. However, the the issue I have is that you, you also could have added a veteran and they did not. And, and I think that was maybe a, a short-sighted decision. So that's where I would th- take issue. That really, you know, look, a lot of things happen to erode the depth, but you could have done more to address it. 
Is there anything of real consequence, though, for Chris Ballard? Like, look, I, I, I go back and forth on Ballard, and I've accepted the fact that the reset button was hit when you brought in Anthony Richardson. But if right. year after year we're continuing to look at holes and we're not even involved in the front office and there's still no resolution or answer for how it gets resolved, at what point is it what I go back to, which is do you trust him to build around what you hope is your franchise quarterback? And I know that's a larger question for maybe another day, so I'll stick with the original one. Is there anything consequential that happens with these holes in terms of Ballard's job security? Well, I, not right now, I don't think. No, and I'll and I'll tell you why. Like sometimes his approach works, and and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's just it, that's kind of the issue is that he rolls the dice a little bit. And so here you have a, a corner. His approach was okay. Let's just double down on these young guys. We got a whole bunch of them, and you know, we'll be right on at least a couple of these guys and it'll work out. You know what I mean? Like theoretically, that's the approach. He was right on speed and Franklin, right? Like he was right on speed and Franklin. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then like the offensive line, look, we talked a lot about that. You just mentioned it, right? That has pretty much worked out. I give them credit. Like the offensive line hasn't played this well in a couple of years. They've they've been doing the job. Granted, Braden Smith is hurt and, and maybe you could have a better backup uh, tackle maybe, but you know, Blake Freeland's fighting. He's doing his best <laughs> against a murderer's row, by the way, the, the last few weeks. But anyhow, you know, so in some cases it works out, but I just think it's, it's a little bit of a, a dangerous way to live. And, and so corner is another example the, the current state at corner is an example of, of it not working. So, so that's the thing. I, I think there are some, executives who just will not leave that to chance and, and will go over above, over and above and, and spend more to ensure that. Um, and even then you can be wrong. Don't get me wrong. You know, you, you can go out and get a veteran and he can suck. That can happen. Right. So it's not, and this is a guarantee uh, Ballard. I think he, re, he reverts to, or his default is let's develop the young guys and, and that'll be our depth. And that's not terrible. It's just that, there's some unknowns there and and that's what you're dealing with right now Stephen Holder is our guest Stephen this is something I have not you know I think the answer is maybe somewhat obvious but maybe it's not I don't know Um, what is the day-to-day like right now for Anthony Richardson you know in terms of you know here's a guy that's a promising young player that suffers the injury and opts to have season-ending surgery on his shoulder. So, you know, he's got his arm in a sling. Um, And I think that most people think like, okay, well, that just means that he's like just kind of hanging out, watching film and hanging out. What is the day-to-day in terms of how much does does the team now oversee what he does every day? What does the next few weeks look like or months look like for Anthony Richardson? Okay, so so one thing to know is that He's going to be very engaged. He will remain very engaged in everything they do. Um, my understanding is, you know, he'll excuse me. He'll he'll continue to be in the meetings. Uh, he's he's been at practices generally. Uh, he he wants, in fact, to be a part of everything, and that's why you've seen him like take road trips with the team. That's very intentional. Not all injured guys are around, you know, or or engaged at that level. You know, he's 
he's on the field during even road games, you know, and they have him very much uh, engaged because, and I think it's important. And here's why maybe this is being handled different than, than an average injured guy who's out for the season because he's the quarterback and he has to have a, a different kind of relationship to this team. You know, his, he, he was voted a captain. You know, he, he definitely has a more central role and a presence in general, whether he's playing or not playing, he has a presence that's very important. So, and, and I just also think it's good for his psyche. You know, he, he had a hard time. He has had a hard time dealing with this from what I hear, as you can imagine, you know, I mean, Anthony Richardson is pretty smart. He knows what his value to this franchise is and, and how important he is to this franchise. He gets that. And he knows what has happened before he got here. So to now not be able to, you know, to, to see that through your first year, I mean, that's a really tough thing, you know, to have to digest. So I think keeping him engaged like this, it, it does kind of ease some of that for him. But anyhow, um, in a more specific manner, he'll have surgery. If he hasn't had it yet, I, I haven't gotten an update, but if he hasn't had it yet, he'll have that here very soon. And then uh, once he's able, they'll get right into the rehab. They don't waste a lot of time with that. I mean, it, it, they may kind of dip their toe in initially, but um, they're very aggressive about rehab when, when possible. Uh, as soon as you're able to, uh, they want to get you back going and don't waste any time. So he'll have plenty to do pretty soon. Uh, when it comes to his uh, his rehab process, so uh, but I like the way they're handling it and and keeping him engaged and and keeping him in the fold. It's good for him and it's good for the team. You know the interesting part of that, Stephen, in terms of if if Richardson is and I get it, you know, disappointed psychologically, you know, dealing with it. Um, I think that's true probably of any player, maybe even depression. I'm not saying in Richardson's case, but I mean there have been right. cases where you hear about that kind of thing. Sure. Um, that's the, the interesting part of that is ultimately this was his decision, right? So does that kind of, I guess, shed light on just how maybe serious this might have been in terms of him wanting to get the long-term solution as opposed to just continuing to band-aid it and saying, you know what, I'm willing to accept that mental aspect for the physical well-being long-term? Yeah, I, I would say this is what I'd say. It was yes. Ultimately, it is the player's decision. If there's a, if there's like a, you know, a, a decision to be made, right? If you if you tear your Achilles, there's no decision to be made, right? Um, and in in this particular case, theoretically, there was a decision. Like, could you play with? I mean, could you uh, rehab it without surgery? I, I guess theoretically, yes. That's why it's a decision. However. Um, my understanding is for him as a quarterback, it wasn't that tough of a decision. Um, so what he did do really was just, he made the, the, the sensible decision. Um, I don't think it was necessarily like a 50, 50 kind of deal. Um, uh, it was one in which everyone agreed this was the best course of action. There wasn't any disagreement to my knowledge, but, but yes, I mean, to, to understand that and to, to digest that and to, and to uh, you know, embrace that reality is, is tough. And, and you have to, it does take some maturity to understand um, what that means and to understand the bigger picture, I guess, is what I'm saying. And he seems to do that. He seems to be able to do that and, and understand 
that the long term here matters as much as anything. So, which is listen, when I was 21, I was only care I, I only cared about today and tomorrow, basically. So, right. give them credit for that. ESPN culture reporter wait, Stephen wait Holder joins you us. You cared about tomorrow when you were 21? Are you kidding me? You were a step <laughs> ahead of me, Stephen. <laughs> I cared about maybe like tomorrow morning. That's, <laughs> that's that right. about it. Like Where you were going to wake up. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, how, how late can I sleep in tomorrow? That's, that's right. what I cared about. Steven, is this the week that the training wheels come off for Jonathan Taylor? I think we're getting there. I thought they should have came off, frankly, uh, in the fourth quarter on yeah. Sunday. They did come off, let me be clear. But uh, they still continued to alternate between him and Zach Moss where there was a moment there where I was like, okay, we're getting ready to see one of those old-school Jonathan Taylor runs here any second. And I didn't love that Shane Steichen went back to Zach Moss as much as I love Zach Moss. And he is, I think, one of the better stories of this season, just what he's been able to do and and the way he has emerged. But uh, ultimately, Zach would tell you, (laughs) Jonathan Taylor is special. Even Even Zach would tell you that. Jonathan Taylor is special, and... I think he was on the verge. He He's one of those guys, I think, and, and everyone else can, uh, can attest to this because you've watched him. He's one of those guys who, over the course of a game, he just gets better and better. And the more touches he gets, and then by the fourth quarter, you're like, oh, my God, what happened? That's, that's Jonathan Taylor. So I'd like to see that be the case. If he's, if he's playing well the way he did on Sunday, I think you lean into that. Okay, last one for me, Stephen. The player that is starting to – finally cement that we can rest easy more so that applies for Alec Pierce or Shaq Leonard hmm that's actually a tough question I would say I think Shaq is getting there uh the the problem for Shaq is that the bar is so much higher because of who he has right because and he said it right yeah I mean you know, he's a three-time All-Pro. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a high bar. Alec Pierce just has to be good. He doesn't have to be an All-Pro to meet the bar. The bar for Alec Pierce is like, you know, catch 45 passes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, for 800 yards or something. I'm just, you know, just arbitrary numbers. But, I mean, that's not as big of – that's not as high a bar, not even close. Um, you know, I don't know that Shaq Leonard ever gets back to being that All-Pro. I have no idea – and and, if, and I think he can still be successful if he doesn't. But I thought the, the previous week, I thought week six, we saw a little bit of uh, throwback Shaq Leonard. So now it has to be about consistency. And, and look, it's not all about money, but money's a part of this too. I mean, they are paying him almost $20 million a year. So, like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, can't, you can't ignore that, and, and no one will. So for Shaq – uh, he's got a longer way to go just because the bar is higher. He's Stephen Holder. Oh, Stephen, what's the doggy's name? What's the doggy's name? <laughs> oh, that's Kimmy, and she should really shut up. Uh, no, Kimmy, no, that's she, fine. She's that's a wonderful. pit bull. She's the, scared, the scaredest pit, pit bull you've ever met. And Kimmy's how old? How long have you had Kimmy? Oh, uh, she's like a year and a half. And and was Kimmy, how long, have you had Kimmy that whole time? Uh, yeah, uh, she was a rescue, so I, I don't know exactly when she was born. We think it's about a year and a half, so yes. Got her when she was really young. Hello, Kimmy. Hello, baby. Okay, there you go. You know, uh, Stephen, I've always said, three kinds of people in the world you can't trust, okay? 
th- you cannot trust these three people. People that don't return their grocery cart in the parking lot, people that oh. people that don't know how to deboard a plane properly, and people that don't have a dog voice. <laughs> and, and, if those three things, those people that fall into those three categories are all s- psychopaths. I'm okay with that. I like that list. That's right. I'm with you. I support it as well. Thank you. Steven, we'll talk so to you next Timmy. week. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Holder Steven. So, again, just to clarify on the plane thing, and I know we've probably got a break here, you're referring to the people that jump up immediately in, and block okay, the aisle, I would assume. Yeah, two things. If you're in row 18. Sure. Plane let's, lands. Let's say there's 30 rows in the it plane. It taxis, and then it goes ding, and it means you've now arrived at the gate. Yep. The people that immediately jump up. I get you've been sitting for a while. Maybe you want to stretch your legs. Fine. But if you're in row 18, you do not, unless, unless, and they've done this before, you know, where they're like, hey, there are some people that have a, a, short, a short connection. I get that. If you're just like everybody else, especially if it's, a, you know, and there's no, like if, if direct flight end up, you know, Lincoln, I mean, it's not like anybody's connecting from there, right? If you're in row 18, you leave the plane after row 17 has started to move. You don't jump. You don't skip in front of people. You just don't. And and furthermore, when it comes to boarding the plane, I, I've never understood this. Instead of boarding by zones, wouldn't it be faster if they say, "Okay, we are now boarding all seats that are C," so all the window seats go, and then they go now. All B seats go. American Airlines is doing that now. It, I mean, it, it's got to be 10 times faster, right? I don't know. They're just... Uh, because you don't have to wait for those people yeah. that are like, excuse me, I think I'm in this seat here, and then this person's got to get up, and everybody's waiting. Well, I mean, Southwest does zone boarding, right? And it's first come, first serve. Yeah. I know it's not exactly what you're talking about, but same deal. And, and first off, it, also in that same category of those other three people, if you're in a front zone for Southwest and you still choose a middle seat, you're a psychopath. Agreed. Bad query company. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Conversations, Colts heavy, Mike Chapel, Stephen Holder. Get those a little bit later today, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Query and Company wherever you get those podcasts. And of course, you can find it on 1075thefan.com. Jake, we're 24 hours, give or take, away from the start of the Pacers season and a lot of anticipation, as we talked about in the opening segment of the show, in regards to the Pacers hopefully taking that leap forward of no longer. Spending hours of your Pacers fan on mock draft boards and more so looking ahead towards what this season could be. But NBA action begins officially tonight. Nuggets get to raise their banner, the host of Lakers, and then Warriors Suns as well. Would you be tuned in at all to that in terms of opening night festivities? For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the Warriors, I watched a lot of the Warriors game. I guess it would have been Saturday night. Um, we got to, where were we traveling? We got to our hotel in, uh, Oh, Towson, Maryland and went down to the hotel bar and the end of the Warriors game was on. So I got to watch Trace Jackson Davis a little bit. And I thought, you know, it's interesting. 
in watching Trace Jackson Davis, he he was doing Trace Jackson Davis things. He was really good around the basket. He utilized both hands. The one thing I will say is, and I'm not saying that he can't overcome this or or find ways around it, but it was the first time at the professional level, Jimmy, that I thought you could really tell that he did at the pro level. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but he did look slow afoot just based on the speed that the NBA plays at. That's not to say he can't adapt to that or find ways around it. He's a really smart guy, obviously. But you kind of saw the areas where you're like, okay, that that's probably why he went where he did um, in the draft itself. But, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the NBA. And I think the, the speed of the NBA and the almost positionless nature of the game – and I heard Rick Carlisle this morning with with Kevin and Andy talking about it, and he's right. You know, any team now has a guy that on any given night all of a sudden goes for 40. And you're like, whoa. I mean, everybody has a guy, if not two, that can play. And so I enjoy on any given night with any team. And, and I would suggest this for people. I A couple of years ago, just on my own, I just went to ESPN.com and signed up for the NBA Fantasy League. Just – on my own in some public league with you know 10 other people who knows where they are or who they are they might even be bots i don't know but it kind of forced me jimmy to to take interest in every game and most games i have a like an interest now in watching what goes on so i i I am looking forward to it the thing that fascinates me the most i think going into this year non-pacers division is phoenix is trying to do what a lot of the previous era of big three base teams. And there's still a couple of examples of that. But for the most part, it's been duos and adding more role players throughout the NBA in terms of where things stand right now versus putting all your eggs into just three baskets and then minimums the rest of the way. Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker. That that That's the core. That's what Phoenix is running with. All three of those players, a time or two, least of which Devin Booker, but all three of them have had portions of their career where you're wondering if they're going to stay healthy the whole season. And guess what, Jimmy? Bradley Beal doesn't look like he's playing tonight. <laughs> so right off the bat, are they able to navigate themselves through an 82-game season, stay healthy, and get by on a postseason run with mainly minimums and, again, lack of a, a real true point guard there, I guess? For me, I'm, um, Milwaukee, how does Drew Holiday – or not Drew Holiday, but how does the departure of Drew Holiday mm-hmm. impact them defensively because – Damian Lillard not known for his defense and the toughness that I think that Holiday brought and his ability to switch one through four and then Grayson Allen's ability just to, I think, be an underrated defender for the Bucks, knock down a shot every time and again. But I'm interested to see how the Bucks will match with Middleton coming back and Brooke Lopez mixed in there as well. Quickly, before you know it, when you look at that roster, they're probably one of the more older teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, and Giannis got that big extension yesterday as well. Giannis, how about that, man? Three three years, 186, right? 62 million a year. And that's, you know, that is astronomical money. And yet it's going to be probably by year three, he's going to be like some bargain player. You know what I mean? Can you believe they're only paying him 62 million? <laughs> that is the nature of contract extensions in the NBA. Uh, the thing that intrigues me the most about that is it goes beyond, and I haven't seen the full contract details, so Eddie, if you have, let me know. I don't know if there's an opt-out or anything built into that deal, but that extension puts him past what Damian Lillard contract is, 
which I think is good for Milwaukee fans because there's been the bubblings before this Damian Lillard trade of maybe Giannis would go somewhere else when his contract's up. Maybe he has done what he wanted to do in Milwaukee, which he won a championship. Like at this point, go do whatever you want to do. But he's locked in at least until what, four or five more seasons, really the, the height of his prime. And it goes beyond that Lillard acquisition, which I think makes you feel good for Milwaukee fans. And then for Pacers fans from a larger standpoint, like nationally, I think the Pacers are going to get a ton of love, especially from what, or especially from those that cover the NBA on a regular basis. They're going to play fast. They're going to play quick. They're going to be a very exciting team night to night. And I hate to be this guy because usually that's all I need is fun, fast paced offense. We mentioned it in the one or in the top of the show, Jake. I want to see a step forward like Rick Carlisle does defensively. And how quickly do we see that on a consistent basis? The average annual salary in the United States, 59428 Okay. Based on last year's scoring average for Giannis, when his new contract kicks in, <laughs> he will make $63,528 per basket. Per basket. So he makes above the average annual salary in the United States with each layup. It's monopoly money. Like you can't... Supply and demand. There are not many people that are that size that can do what he does. And supply and demand is in his favor. And by the way, another storyline I'm fascinated to see is how does Ja Morant uh, come back from that 25-game suspension? Um, Is he... John Morant of old where he's not much of a distraction off the court and he's able to have a level head and he's done all the right things to get himself in the right mental space and is able to return to the high level of play which shouldn't be much of a problem when he does return after that 25 game suspension I, I was um, I talked to somebody in the off season extremely close to the Memphis Grizzlies who said that John Morant and I don't know I don't want to speak out of school here I John Morant had some issues that went beyond just the the lack of discipline or maturity that was being displayed by some of the things that he was involved with. And hopefully he has been able to tackle some of those challenges that required kind of stepping out of himself and, and getting help elsewhere in other areas. Fabulous talent, no question about it. But man, that was as quick a path to a self-destruction as we've seen in sports in a long time. And you certainly hope for himself and for fans of basketball that he's able to turn things around. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. We'll start with the NBA. We'll take... Nikola Jogic over 26 and a half total points plus 105 is the juice there. We'll also take LeBron James over 23 and a half total points minus 125 is your juice there. In the nightcap, give me the Warriors over the Suns as Eddie painted it. Potential Chris Paul revenge game. Got to get behind that. And then for NLCS game seven, there will be a run in the first inning, but the Phillies will move on. Eddie, do you have anything? So you're taking a uh, the Phillies money line action there and a yes first inning. Is that what that is? That is what that is. All right. So in the Lakers-Nuggets game, I will be taking the over 14.5 points for Austin Reeves. He is the third scoring option on that Lakers team now. D'Angelo Russell turning more into a role player. Mm-hmm. And uh, Austin Reeves had a 6 of 8 on this on the over against the Nuggets last year in their 8 contest. And then I will also be backing the 
Phillies tonight, but I will be taking them on the run line minus one and a half. How much are the executives of who has the World Series? Is it Fox? Yeah. Or let's just say hypothetically, it is. I, I'm assuming it's Fox. Yeah, it's always, to my knowledge, it's always Fox so, until something changes. So how much are the executives at Fox praying for the Phillies? What, what will the TV numbers be if the World Series is the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers? I mean, and those are two big markets. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Phoenix is like market 16. Dallas is probably DFW's probably 9 or 10. But those are like the least sexy teams. I mean, there's just – you don't have – you know, those are two teams that halfway through the year you didn't even think either one of them would be in there, right? And here they are. I mean, at least with Philly you get – Harper's a star. Schwarber's, you know, a big name, and what he's doing is unbelievable. It's amazing to me that Kyle Schwarber has five home runs in the championship series. You know how many RBI? Five. Correct. Uh, do you think it'll be worse than? And we'll throw out the COVID year because that's tough. Do you think it'll be worse than eleven and a half average million viewers? Boy. That's basically what it's been the last two years. Yeah, I mean, I would think it would dip a little bit. I don't know. JMV just walked in. John, what do you think? Rangers, Diamondbacks, if that's the World Series, does that have any needle-moving cachet at all? Probably not. Right? They need Philly, I would imagine. Yeah, that's in this. But, yeah. Um, I, they've been enjoyable to watch, though. I, I agree. I, I bet these series you know, introduce people to baseball a little bit more, especially teams they didn't know too much about. The Phillies, uh, those guys could all stand to go to 459 Barbershop, right? It's always been that way, though. Even those Phils of the early 90s with Dalton and Kruk and yeah. Dykstra, those guys are all, all nuts and long hair and stuff. So You know, there's the guy that works here. You and I were talking about a real nice guy that works the building here, the, the kind of the super of the building here. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Mm-hmm. He looks like he could play for the Phillies. He could, yeah. He a long beard. So, yeah, exactly. so does one of our engineers, Skyler Wood. Oh, yeah, yeah Skyler Wood could play for the Phillies. He'd be like Dave Doster. Dave Doster went to Indiana State. Dave Doster played second for, I believe, one of those Phillies teams of the 90s. The, uh, the Phillies in 93 kind of had some, you know, they kind of had that like same level of, as you talked about, you know, Dalton and Dykstra, yeah. and they just were kind of spunky guys, right? I was always thinking that, though, the Phillies don't mean anything unless they're on the back of an RC can, like we used to get. Remember, oh, when, the best. remember when the baseball players were on the back of the RC can? And that was really the only reason why. with the card and Twinkies. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were forced to drink Royal Crown Cola, <laughs> and that's the only reason why we drank it back then, is to get those cans with Bake McBride and Gary Maddox. Bake McBride, man, love them. And, you know, Larry Boa, Manny Trio. Now, see, I had Steve Carlton. The, the guys back then that I loved in that same era would have been the Pirates because I loved Omar Moreno. Yeah. Uh, UL Washington was the Royals, though, right, with the toothpick? He was, toothpick, shortstop, light-hitting shortstop. Uh, Frank White. Frank White. Also the Royals. Yep. Man, those are the days, man. 1985 winners, and I loved it because who got screwed over? The Cardinals by Don Dinkinger. L- let me Don, tell you something. Don Dinkinger is my favorite umpire of all if, time. If you, John, if you yeah. ever go to St. Louis – you want to start a fight. There's two ways to start a fight in St. Louis. The first is to order a Miller Lite, yeah. and the other is to mention George Well, they Orwell. want you to order a White Claw or something? <laughs> they want you to order anything from Anheuser-Busch. If you mention George Orta and, and, and that call, and you say like, oh, no, he was definitely safe at first. That people it. there, I mean, My they are. My umpire of all times, Don Dinkinger. And then Eric Gregg, because I love that. Don Dinkinger, man. when he, call, he I mean, We used to know the umpire's names. I have no idea who these clowns are now. None. Zero. We used to know all other of than Angel Hernandez, except that guy. Yeah, we know Angel Hernandez, and I think there's one more that we that makes bad calls. I had too. a legendary 
St. Louis baseball personality say to me, Al Herbrowski said, I'll tell you what right now, when, when Don Dickinger dies, they were like, when, when Don Dickinger dies, I will volunteer to be the pallbearer just so I can slam him into his grave. I'm like, that seems a bit harsh. Yeah. I love it, though. That's great. <laughs> Is there any team that could be screwed that hard? And I would like, you, you look at the, Here's the, the thing, couple screwed still, jobs I mean, Cole's look, George Orta at first base is, is I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. He was out, right? What people forget, they still allowed Dane Orge to come up and get a hit and allowed Onyx yeah. Concepcion and Jim Sunberg to score, right? And then you come back and you still have a game seven yeah. and they could beat 11-0. Onyx Concepcion, what a great name. I mean, Jim Sunberg. How do you, I mean, if Jim Sunberg Did they is, name that uh, rap group Onyx? <laughs> after Onyx Concepcion? The 90s, they yeah. did Slam. I think they named it after Onyx. And, and the Onyx Cigars. Onyx Cigars, I guess. Also by the play. way, th- these are the type of conversations that will be had on Saturday because we're going to be That's together. Right. Yeah. So we're going to be uh, – give me the details on that on Saturday. Uh, I really don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up probably either at 10 Shelbyville, or 11 right? or something. We're going to be in Shelbyville at the Horseshoe Casino at some I'll point to midday. It. Oh, my God. People are going to – you need to get to the radio for that. <laughs> It may be dumb as hell, but it'll be entertaining. The flash bulbs will be from both the slot machines and the paparazzi, <laughs> yeah, right? I'm sure it will be. No, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So we'll talk more about it leading up to that. John's up next. He'll bring you home until 6 o'clock. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back at it tomorrow here for Eddie and Jimmy. I'm Jake. Back at you tomorrow, noon to 3 on Quarian Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.